What's up, wrestling fans? Ah, that's right, it's time for them boys from 607 Podcast to talk all things pro wrestling. That's right, it's time for this week's edition of 607TWS. Of course, that 607 Podcast presents The Wrestling Show. And we are coming to you from the ODPH Dungeon, the realest thing in pro wrestling. Of course, I am the host of the 3FN Podcast, and I am your host here on 607TWS. My name is Rich, and joining me, as he does each and every week in the co-pilot's chair... You know him as a co-host here, but more importantly, you know him as the host of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast, better known as the ODPH. I'm talking about Ken M. 607 Podcast fam, what is happening? What is going on? What is good? Did everybody survive the great pro wrestling weekend? I called it the biggest wrestling weekend in a, over a decade last week. That That's was what the show fact. was. And it, and it delivered. It was the biggest wrestling weekend in over a decade uh, for good and bad reasons, <laughs> oh, oh, yes. which we will be diving into today. Uh, this is kicking off, uh, on a side note, this is kicking off a huge week. We had a huge wrestling weekend, got some battery recharge after I came back from Sci-Fi Horror Fest, watched a ton of wrestling, had to do that. You're going to hear all about it today. Then... This kicks off a gigantic week. 607 TWS is the first on the record list for me. And then we will I will be recording the 3FN podcast this week. And then tomorrow, gigantic, gigantic, obviously Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Peek behind the curtain. Gigantic recording of the ODPH's yearly NFL preview show, yes. which I will be taking part in. So I got a lot of recording to do this week. I know it's a busy, busy week, but man, super excited time of year to be doing what we do here at 607 Podcast. And you know what's really crazy about all of that is that this weekend would have been the like usually have been like, okay, light weekend. Mm-hmm. Nah. No. I mean, it's a light weekend as far as the nerd stuff. We did get we went and saw the movie to do a movie review. But like as far as news, it's just kind of previewing for D23. So that's the good news. Yes. Because if it was if if D twenty three would have happened this past weekend as well, that would have been covering oh, D twenty three, all the wrestling and football. <laughs> so I am so thankful that Disney decided to say, "Ah, eh, we'll start D twenty three on the 9th of September." Yes. So, kudos to Disney. So that's who I saluted. That's my MVP this week, by the way. Oh yeah, because I know Saturday is going to shut everything down across the internet. Oh, absolutely. But but you know that's not what we're here to talk. We're here to talk about pro mm-hmm. wrestling, and we are going to give you your fix in the main event of the show. We are going to talk about the fallout, the media scrum uh, of All Out. Uh, the, the news that came out there uh, is is astounding. We are going to talk about All Out in the opening segment. Yes, but we are going to talk about that at the end of the show, just because there is so much to unpack, and of course, so much going on in the internet and the rumors and buzz and blah blah blah. And to think that when we came into this show, we thought that the main event was just going to be a couple news stories and the Triple H Ariel Hawani interview, mm-hmm. which we'll still touch on the Triple H oh, Ariel sure, Hawani sure. interview. But hey, <laughs> Tony Khan, you and AEW, you guys batted a thousand with your media scrum. Oh, uh, not for the best of reasons. No. We'll talk about that later. Some people are happy. Some people aren't happy. So the whole internet is talking about it. Uh, of course, in the mid card, we're going to cover uh, the Chicago, uh, the Second City Summit bundle from GCW and Black Label Pro. We're also going to cover NXT Worlds Collide. And of course, in the opening segment, we were going to be reviewing both WWE Clash of the Castle and AEW's All out uh, because they were the two biggest shows of the weekend. 
With that being said, though, before we can jump into that and get into the show, tell the fine folks how to find yourself, the Ocho Dura Parley Hour podcast, Ken, and more importantly, how they can check out that NFL preview this week. Very simple. You swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out Parley Points. New blogs count anywhere is out right now, so you definitely want to go check that out. Talking a little bit about AEW's big weekend. You can go to the directory, which has links to every single podcast provider the ODPH is on that we know of. So you can simply hit follow, subscribe, like, comment, and boom, you'll get new ODPH episodes, including the big NFL preview delivered right to your podcatcher. All that and so much more, odphpodcast.com. And to find out everything about the 3FN Podcast, just visit 3FNPodcast.com. All the social media links are there. The link to RT Public Store link is there as well. Also, the Patreon link, patreon.com slash 3FNPodcast is there. Uh, Twitch link, uh, links to friends of the show like the Ochadura Parley Hour Podcast. There is players to play the 3FN Podcast on, 607TWS on, uh, the ODPH on, and more. Uh, salute to the bands that support the show, including mm-hmm. Floodlands, who does the theme song here at 607TWS. Uh, US, you can find all their information also in the music directory over at 3FM Podcast, much like odphpodcast.com as well. And last but certainly not least, local sponsors who help bring these shows to you absolutely commercial free. Uh, we're going to give them a shout out real quick. Dragon Master Games for all your Magic the Gathering and gaming needs. DragonMasterGames.com for that. And of course, Rex the Rod's auto deal- detailing. If you're in the 607 and you're ready to put the pride back into your ride at 607-644-3389. Tell Dito that the 3FN podcast sent you. Or 607TWS, either way. It works. Or the ODPH, everybody. Yeah, great work over there. Yes. Uh, Ken is not, just a, uh, is not just the president. He's also the client over there as well. Indeed. Uh, but with that being said, that's enough about us. That's enough about all the stuff that we've got going on because I know you're tuned in to hear us talk about wrestling, and it is now Ken M's favorite time because, Ken, it's time! That's right, it's time for the opening contest of this week's edition of 607TWS, and how better to start it with the uh, biggest show to start the weekend because it happened on Saturday, mm-hmm. and that would be WWE's Clash at the Castle from Cardiff, Wales. Uh, let's uh, chat about that right now. Of course, it was a special time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, because uh, it was taking place over in England. Of course, like I said, it went down at Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom at the Principality Stadium, formerly the Wembley Stadium. Uh, let's talk about the card, shall we? All right, let's do this. Uh, of course, I also want to point out our commentators for this card were Byron Saxton, Corey Graves, and Michael Cole. No Pat McAfee. I was kind of upset about that, but I do believe he had college football duty this Yes, if memory serves me right, he was covering some stuff for uh, the college football kickoff that was going on this weekend. But you know what? I, we missed him. Mm-hmm. But it was still a great show. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let's kick it off. The opening contest of the show uh, was Damage Control, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky. And they defeated Alexa Bliss, Asuka, and Bianca Belair in 18 minutes and 45 seconds. Ken M., how did you feel about uh, Damage Control getting the win? And by the way, to float my own horn, I said that Bailey was going to pin Bianca Belair. And sure enough, she did. Great match. Perfect way to kick off the show. Loved the faction name. I did not realize that that was until. This past weekend, so definitely excited to see what they're going to do. And Bailey versus Bianca Belair, sign me up. I think that they did a great service to get us to that point. I'm very excited about it. Uh, it was what I thought it was going to be. Great match. All six women killed, crushed, loving it. And at the end of the day, we moved the story forward with Bailey getting the pinfall. So now we're going to move on eventually, sooner than later, to Bailey getting a shot at the Raw Women's Title and uh, Bianca Belair. And I, for one, am here for that. Yes. 
Next up on the card, we had the WWE Intercontinental Championship match. Your champion, Gunther, de defending against Sheamus. By the way, a couple of notes before we jump into it. The rebirth of Imperium. Yes. As the return of Fabi yes. Fabian Aigner, uh to join uh, Ludwig, Kaiser, mm -hmm. and Gunther. So we have Imperium returned. And, of course, uh, Sheamus came out with uh, Butch and, uh, <laughs> and Holland. And uh, at the end of the day, though, 19 minutes and 35 seconds, and still your WWE Intercontinental Champion, Gunther. I'm going to start first and saying this match is exactly what we thought it was going to be. This match was brutal. This match was great. This match delivered and then some. I want to throw it out. Cagematch.com. Uh, they're out of uh, 457 votes turned in already. It's got a 9.17 out of 10. And rightfully so, because this match was epic. Imperium reuniting. Uh, Aikner's new name was it Giovanni Vinci. I think so. Yes. So obviously, great seeing him. Complete surprise, but I love Imperium. So get them back in the tag team scene. I'm all. It was already a win for me. But let alone you had these two guys go at it, and we knew this was going to be hard hitting. Sheamus's chest after this match was absolutely disgusting, but I'm here for it. And hard hitting, great storytelling, and especially at the end too. The UK crowd was giving Sheamus a standing ovation. I love that part. Yeah, like, I love the match in its whole. But at the end of the match, the you know Gunther wins. The the crowd cheered for both men for giving them a great show because that's always great. We got the this is awesome chance and everything else. And then as Gunther left the ring, and Sheamus was getting up, the crowd started cheering so loud that the back turned on Sheamus's music. Crowd just giving him all the adulation he deserved. Mm -hmm. And I think this was amazing. Uh, once again, I said it. A lot of people have forgotten. I think how good Sheamus is. Yeah. This proved once again how good Sheamus is. But on top of proving how good Sheamus is, this really, to me, proved that this division is deep. Oh, absolutely. The, you, you have to class Sheamus in the same group with like a Dolph Ziggler. Like we often forget about them because of how great they are and they've just been around for so many years. But you can plug and play them in any kind of situation and they elevate that program. And this is, like you touched upon, reminding everybody how deep this division is and when they really want to build up the prestige of the mid-card titles, Sheamus is a player that can go for either belt, and it really adds a lot of credibility to it. I just want to throw this one out there. I'm completely honest. I think the next time we see this fight, it's going to be for a world heavyweight title. I wouldn't doubt sort. it. I wouldn't doubt it. Because I could see these two guys main eventing any pay-per-view for the WWE title, Universal title, whatever we got going on in the future. Because mm. who knows? Who knows? We might have two belts back. We might only have one belt. Who knows? But... I could see these two guys being in that picture. Yes. And it, it definitely proved it here in this in front of this amazing crowd. By the way, crowd was hot all night. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want when you go travel, and especially the fans were definitely into it from bell to bell. Next up was the WWE Women's SmackDown uh, Championship match. Your champion, Liv Morgan, defending against the queen of Diesel's heart, Shayna Baszler. <laughs> uh, this match got 11 minutes flat at the end of the day, and still the WWE SmackDown Women's Champion, Liv Morgan, uh, what were your thoughts on this match? Obviously, Liv Morgan got a lot more offense than we all thought she was going to get. Well, I know they've been doing the vignettes with her training with Matt Riddle about learning the MMA style and adapting it to the pro wrestling world. So I wasn't super shocked at this because I figured they really want to establish Liz uh, or Liv as an, a, a really credible threat to Ronda. Because that's, a, I mean, obviously all signs are pointing that they're going to lock it up again. And this match did what it needed to do. I had a feeling it was going to be a lot of Liv showcasing her offense. I didn't like the finish, though. Uh, I'm not too big about how she landed the finisher, but it is what it is. And uh, onward and upward. 
my takeaways from this match is, uh, A, I love the storytelling because she definitely did use some of those uh, tricks that she learned from Matt Riddle to uh, get it past some of Shayna Baszler stuff. Which, so that means that that was for, you know, everything was for something. Mm-hmm. The story was there. Uh, I did not like how strong she looked. And I'm not saying that I, I think that as you build her to being stronger, you can't just have her become almost like the halfway there mark in this first match. And I think that's what they did here. I think there was a little bit too much offense. I think there should have been more defense, more countering, uh, which they did a a lot of that, but I think there should have been more of that and more of like Shayna being in control with uh, Liv, you know, countering and and doing things like that. So then the next would be the offense on whoever's next and then Ronda and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think that they could have done a little slower build there. And I did notice that I hate her finish. Yeah. <laughs> like, not just in this match, but in general, I'm not a fl- fan of Oblivion at all. It just does not look like it's too effective. I mean, she bounces off the rope to do kind of like a face breaker, and it's just not it, – I just don't I don't see the points of it. That's no. just me. I don't know. If somebody else likes it, that's fine, but I just don't – I'm not a fan, and it looked really hokey in this match. You need somebody that can that can oversell a bump to do this match right, to, to, to do that move right, I mean. Because if you don't have somebody, like, not saying that Shayna didn't sell it, because she did, but you need somebody to go, like, over the top with it. Because otherwise, for the angle she comes down and hits that move on, it doesn't come off well. Like, it comes off just kind of like a like a stall finish. I agree. Uh, Cage Match had this as its lowest rated match of the night uh, with 5.89 is the score. Uh, we don't do scores here, but I would say that's about right with me. Cause I, I don't struggle this was, with it. I thought that this was the, the worst match on the card, but I also thought that it was better than average. Yeah, I agree. And that's where this is at as well. So I kind of was like, oh, this is a better than average match. I, I was impressed with the match. I thought that it was good, and I thought that the, the, the both ladies did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some things I would have changed, but outside of that, I thought it was still good. So it kind of hinders, you know, if, if the worst match on the card is a good match that's a slightly above average, yeah. uh, you that know says something in, about the card. You know you're in a win-win, and I agree with that great, too. Like I say, this match was slightly above average. It wasn't anything I'm taking home going, wow, but it did its purpose to move the story. That was off 270 votes, by the way. Uh, next up, we had a tag team grudge match as uh, Edge and Rey Mysterio with Dominic Mysterio in their corner defeated the Judgment Day, Damian Priest and Finn Balor with Rhea Ripley in their corner, 12 minutes and 34 seconds. That was not the story of the match, though. No. Uh, this match was, was a good match. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the match real briefly. I liked the match. I thought the action was good. I thought all four men delivered. I thought Rhea delivered. Uh we just got to see like a suicide dive from Rey Mysterio onto Dominic through Rhea. Yeah. So that was kind of like one of the first times we really got to see a man on woman intergender spot in WWE in a while. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a neat spot there as well. And Rhea, I think, is the perfect person for it. And outside of that, I thought the match was very serviceable and good. Uh, your thoughts on just the match before we get to the end? The match was solid. I mean, obviously, Edge and Ray have had great chemistry together throughout the year, so I wasn't surprised at seeing them rekindle that magic. Judgment Day is very solid in the ring, too, so we knew we were going to get a quality match regardless. So that brings us to the end of the match and why this thing is so confusing to me. Now, mind you, yes, Dominic Mysterio turned. We all know that. Everybody saw the video. After the match, he kicks Edge in the nuts. His dad's like, what's going on? What are you doing, son? Da-da-da-da-da. He looks like he's going to give his old man a hug. Instead, he just levels him with a clothesline. And uh, mind you, his shoe came off while he was doing the kick to the balls. So he took the other shoe off. So I'll give him credit for that. And then he walks out, and he couldn't quite rip his shirt off right, which is kind of funny as well. Uh, So uh, Dominic Mysterio, not only doesn't he do it for me in the ring, but it seems like he miscues on a lot of things. Here's my big problem with the end of this match. At the end of this match, it is Dominic Mysterio who trips Finn Balor, 
which allows for the 619 into a spear combination for the victory. But then he turns heel at the end of the match, walks out with uh, Judgment Day clapping and cheering him on. And you're like, well, if he is he a member of Judgment Day? Because if he is, he just cost Judgment Day the damn match. So what sense does it make to cost the heel faction a match and then turn heel? None to me. And once again, since I do this, we call it right down the middle. Mm-hmm. I've had these problems in AEW finishes. I'm sure you're going to hear some in All Out. So I can't, I'm not going to excuse this one either. This is just a stupid finish for a match. In my opinion, Dominic Mysterio is this generation's David Flair. I agree with you. Yeah, so this whole setup with him, I think that he needs just to go to NXT. And if this is the way to write him off and send him down for some time, I think that would be a great move. Because I agree with you. The ring psychology about him costing Judgment Day the match and then to do the turn for reasons didn't mesh well. And it didn't really have a rhyme or reason to it. And... Judgment Day was laughing almost like in a Joker sense from, you know, the Batman movies and such. It was a, a real surreal thing to see the reaction because it just didn't really have a payoff. And I don't think anybody was super shocked. We all knew this was coming. If Dominic does go with Judgment Day, they're going to say, well, we cost the match because this was going to hurt you more. Like, that's the only way you can try spinning it. It's not great, but I think in looking back on it, I think this is a, one of the miscues of the weekend that we got called WWE out for. Absolutely. I agree with you 125%. Uh, I just didn't get it. I didn't like it. But next up, we had a match that I know went in the preview show, Padawan J, and I, I, I said this as well, and you as well. So this was the match we were not looking forward to. This was a match that seems like it came from the uh, previous administration mm-hmm. and, and until last week on Raw when we all said that it changed because Seth Rollins versus Matt Riddle yeah. changed immensely. A, a we have Matt Riddle back <laughs> instead of just Riddle. And B, that last promo. The, the, the promo, the the DC John Jones, if you will, esque promo of of you know the mics are still hot. So we catch Seth Rollins saying, "Hey, uh, let's talk about your family." Oh yeah, that's right. Your wife divorced you and took your kids, and they don't want to see your bitch ass. F- amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So now we're we're we were you know hyped to see the match. The match got. Uh, 17 minutes and 21 seconds at the end of the day. Seth frickin' Rollins comes out on top, beating Matt Riddle in a great way. I thought this match was tremendous. Mm-hmm. This is a very good match. On a lot of cards, this would have been match of the night. Mm-hmm. This card, it's not going to be, but in a lot of, because I, I obviously think, I think that goes to Gunther and Sheamus, uh, not to say anything bad about these two gentlemen, but and any other match, including a WrestleMania, <laughs> this could possibly be a show stealer. These two did a great thing, and it was Riddle, I love the storytelling, it was Riddle's and anger at the end of the day trying to take out Seth Rollins that cost him the match your thoughts this match was damn near perfect and I love how like you touched upon Riddle's emotions or what was the real story of this match Seth Rollins got in his head that much and we always see that Riddle is always just you know the ever-loving fun guy this really brought out a lot of those I want to say the old school MMA vibe that you used to always have this was a perfect way to really tell a different story. Seth Rollins, I mean, arguably is the best in the world. So seeing him really unleashed, so to speak, under the Triple H regime, this was perfect. I, I really enjoyed this match a lot more than I thought I was going to. Oh, I agree with you completely. And uh, I, I'm hoping to see a lot more in the near future from these two because I, I hope this storyline does carry on. I wonder how soon Hell in a Cell is because I could see this being the main event. Well, I know Extreme Rules is coming up in Philadelphia in uh, the month of October. Right. So maybe we could see it there as well. 
I'd be all right. Like, listen, this could be a new fight forever just based off the quality of this match. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that leaves one more match in the main event oh. of the evening <laughs> for the WWE Undisputed Unified Universal Championship. Your champion, the big dog, the tribal chief, the head of the table, Roman Reigns, defending the title against U- the UK's own Drew McIntyre. This match got 30 minutes and 46 seconds at the end of the day. And still, the WWE Unified Undisputed Universal Champion, the big dog Roman Reigns. But there's a lot of stories in here. First of all, uh, the fans got what they wanted a little mm-hmm. bit as Drew McIntyre got the uh, that old uh, entrance theme as a, dreams. as a uh, little trailer for before he came out. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the production value for this really gave it that big fight feel that we really want to see with this. This this wonderful gigantic crowd has a ton of people out there and they were all into this. Everybody behind Drew, lots of booze for Roman. Mm-hmm. And this match is I told somebody this match was as professional wrestling as professional wrestling gets. I understand this wasn't the, the you know the the high flying flippy stuff that I enjoy as much as anybody else. Sure. But these two guys went out there and they told a story. Mm-hmm. They executed the story flawlessly. It was a war of attrition. Both guys going out there beating the hell out of each other. It looked very good, looked very believable and like I said it told a great story. And then at the end of the day we had the appearance of uh, Solo Sokoa mm-hmm. as the newest member of the bloodline. Of course, he's the Usos' younger brother. Yes. And he came out and helped Roman Reigns win the match, which, of course, everybody's like, oh, this is the same old hat. Oh, Triple H dropped the ball. Oh, no. And I'm like, well, first of all, he didn't. Uh, and then there was a lot of comparisons. Oh, everybody crucifies AEW when when they bring in people nobody knows. First of all, on this show, we don't. Right. Because we know those people. Like when they brought in Mance Warner, we were a show that was like, yeah, baby, mm-hmm. let's go old Mance. Or we even tuned into that rampage yeah. just because we wanted to see old Mance Warner. But anyways, I digress. And I understand that does exist in the world, but you can't, you know, if it's tit for tat, it's tit for tat. Uh, we're never that way. First of all, Solo Sequoia is in... NXT. Mm-hmm. He's a WWE roster member. So it's not like we don't know this guy. And even if you don't watch NXT, that's fine. That's perfectly fine and well. However, he is a roster member. Yes. So therefore, I would assume, as you would assume, we all knew this was happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe not at this event. So it was a little bit of a surprise, but we knew it was going to happen sooner than later. And I'm assuming it's because the Usos can't get into England because of the, you know, previous uh, arrests. Yeah. <laughs> Reasons, as we'll say. D.U. Usos, as mm-hmm. I used to call them. Uh, that's That haunts you for a long time. But anyways, with that being said, I thought that this was good. I, I like the end of the match. I like keeping the belt on Roman. I said that in the preview show, that I, I want Roman to be champion until we have the mega baby face, which would be Cody Rhodes, to come back to take it off of him. Your thoughts on the match? Excellent match. These two have always had great chemistry. I mean, we always forget about the Survivor Series match from a couple years back. This was everything I wanted it to be. I'm not so mad about the ending of the match because I was thinking this is going to be a perfect time to give the belt to Drew, let him run with it. But Roman as champion is great for business too, so I'm not mad about that at all. Great debut, and this is going to be something that you're going to see a lot of with Triple H. Not everything needed to be a huge star returning. Bringing somebody up from NXT and having them debut on a big show like this is a huge, huge move. And showing a lot of faith in the kid. So, you know what? Works perfect for me. 
Yeah, I like this. I like the show. Overall, I thought Clash at the Castle was a very good show. I gave it an A. Mm-hmm. I was very highly entertained. I liked that they kept it to a lesser amount of matches uh, because literally we only had two, four, six matches on the card. I thought that was nice. There was one pre-show uh, match, but mm-hmm. still, so seven total if you count pre-show. Right. I thought this was good. I thought it was good. I thought it was concise. I thought it was nice and wrapped up. I thought every match got time to tell a story. I thought every match on this show told the story. Uh, there wasn't a match that I was upset about going, oh, why is this match happening? So I thought they did a great job. And I think that the United Kingdom uh, faithful, very loud, very obnoxious in a good way. Yes. And I thought this this was a home run all the way around. No, I thought perfect. I gave it an A as well. I thought that every match on here had that big emotion feel to it. It had even the Liv and Shayna one, which I, which you could say is the worst match of the night, and I do agree with you on this card, was still not a bad match. But in comparison to everything else that you had on here, this was almost a completely perfect card from top to bottom, great finishes, solid debuts, and just that energy from the U.K. crowd really carried it through. Like It gave a whole different vibe to it, and I loved it, and I'd like to see them do it again sometimes sooner than later. Absolutely. I cannot say enough about that. Well, let's switch gears now and talk about AEW All Out. Uh, of course, that came from on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday from Hoffman Estates, Illinois, in the now arena, so right outside of Chicago. Um, let's start off with Zero Hour, because mm-hmm. that was their pre-show. It was one hour long. There was four, count them, four pre-show matches on Zero Hour. So let's yeah. start there. You ready to go? Uh, yeah, I'm, I got my second wind. Yes, I'm ready to go. <laughs> zero Hour was 7 p.m. Eastern to 8 p.m. Eastern. Then the main card was from 8 p.m. to about midnight. Yeah. That's why I say second win time. Here we go. All right. First up, first match, and it started very impromptu, was for the AAA World Mixed Tag Team Championships. Your champions, Sammy Guevara and uh, Ty Conti, or Ty Guevara, whatever you want to call her. Ty Mello. Defending against Ortiz and Ruby Soho. This match got seven minutes and 22 seconds at the end of the day. And still your AAA Mixed Tag Team Champions, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti. Uh, The first part, I'm going to throw this out there, is that this match started out of a promo. They went to the red carpet where RJ City was interviewing people from the red carpet. And then we had our yearly uh, golf cart sighting. Yep. <laughs> As uh, the golf cart ran over Sammy and it was Ortiz and Ruby. And then Ruby smashed Ty with a uh, garbage can. And then they took it to the ring. And the match just impromptu started with Ruby and uh, Ortiz in wrestling gear and Sammy and Ty in street clothes. Mm-hmm. And then we got the match. And. The match was pretty good. I'm not going to say too much bad about it, although there was a really bad spot in the match where I think we've all kind of narrowed down to where Ruby Soho was injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sammy had her like in a almost kind of a Samoan drop kind of. Yeah, like he was ready to for the GTS. And Ty came off the rope with a big boot to the face, and then Sammy just let her fall to the ground. And it looked like she landed on her neck and shoulder weird, but we found out later that she suffered a broken nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, no other word on any other injuries. Hopefully she gets well soon, but I, I just think it was a little sloppy it is what it is. It's not ballet. I always say that overall, I thought this match was decent, not great. What's your thoughts? It's passable. Honestly, this was not doing anything for me. I'm just hoping Ruby has a speedy and healthy recovery. Cause she took a couple bad shots in this. Like you touched upon the one that it looked like it was like the same was going to go for the GTS and, and Ty kicked her. And then there was that uh, the tie KO or whatever her one finisher is, where is it spinning into the knee? I thought that looked bad too. Like I thought it looked very stiff. But like you touched on, it's not ballet. I just thought the timing was off on this. I thought the match on uh, Rampage was a lot crisper. And I thought that this one did not really excite the crowd that much when we're going live because, I mean, especially for being such a long card, you really got to make your time really mean something. And I just thought 
this one didn't do it for me. I agree with you. Uh, next up on the card, we had for the FTW Championship, your champion hook defending against the JAS, JAS's, yeah. I guess you could say, uh, Angelo Parker with Matt Menard in his corner, three minutes and 55 seconds at the end of the day, and still FTW champion hook. Uh, once again, this is what it needed to be short, sweet. Uh, Angelo Parker did get some offense in, so it wasn't a complete squash, but at the end of the day, you know, Hook does hook things and wins the match. Actually, I enjoyed this match for what it was. Thankfully, it was a, it was a short match. There's only one takeaway that you need to talk about with this match, and that is Action Bronson, who came in, saved the day. And I, you know what? Honestly, I would not mind seeing Action and team up with Hook to take on 2.0. Yeah, well, Action Bronson was at ringside because obviously he does Hook's theme music. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the match, 2.0, 3.0, whatever they're calling yeah, whatever themselves now. Yeah, whatever you Started to try to beat down Hook. In comes Action Bronson to save the day. So I thought that was cool. Overall, I thought that was cool. I liked the, the match being short. Yeah, it did what it needed it to. It did what it needed to do. We got in and out. Boom, boom. Enjoyed it. Next up, we had the uh, AEW All-Atlantic Championship on the line. Your champion, Pac, taking on the returning wow. Kip Sabian. Uh, this match got 10 minutes and 25 seconds. And at the end of the day, and still your AEW All-Atlantic Champion, Pac, However, I think this was the first mistake of the night. I think Kip Sabian should have won this match. Your thoughts on the match, though, Ken? Kip Sabian looked like a million bucks. The new gimmick, like, I didn't understand what he was doing in the crowd. I get it now. I'm all in. I thought that this was a, like you touched upon, this is a miscue. They didn't give him the belt. But I understand that since Pac just won it in June, that they don't like doing hot potato too much unless it's the TNT title. So seeing this go down, I thought Kip was the real winner, even though he took the L in the match. He looked great. Even the weird thing he was doing, talking to the buckethead at the end. Talking to the boxhead, yeah. Yeah, like I, I get it though. It's kind of Al Snow esque. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's working. And for him, he needs a shot in, of something to get him back in the radar of AEW fans. So I thought this was a great way to do it. I thought that they did a good job in this match. I thought Kip looked amazing for making his return. I liked everything about it. Uh, which again, I wish Kip would have won this match. I think the crowd wanted Kip to win mm-hmm. the match. And at the end of the day, you know, Pac still wins. But I think that we developed a lot more story with Kip. Speaking to the box had very else no less. Yes. I did dig it. And then we got to the top of the ramp to which, out of nowhere, yeah. Orange Cassidy decides to come out. You know, I, I during Pac's impromptu uh, interview from Tony Schiavone at the top of the stage, and then Orange comes out, and basically before Orange can say or do anything, Pac's like, "You know what? I don't need this from you. You're nobody. I you're just a joke." And he walked away. <laughs> I think this is one of the situations that AEW and the powers that be wanted to get every single big name on the card as as in some way, shape, or form. This was pointless. And I understand they're setting up for the trios match that's going to go on on Dynamite this week, but still, at the same time, it really took away from Pac's win and Kip Saban's time. So let's jump into that real quick. Later on in the night, there would be an interview segment where we would have Death Triangle and the best friends with Danhausen, mm-hmm. uh, and they just kind of did this whole like they kind of were interviewing Pac about his win, and then you know the you know Penta and Phoenix about not winning in the. Uh, ladder match, which we'll talk about in the beginning of the show. And then they kind of just went into, well, we're doing this. And then Pac, once again, was like, there's no grudge here. This is stupid. Yeah. Like, this is a joke. And walked away again. So I'm just kind of like, it's weird. Yeah. Like, I understand that they want to try to get him back to his bastard roots, I guess, so to speak. But at the same time, it's just coming out of it's pointless. 
Well, next up, and I'm going to call it a main event. This was the main event of Zero Hour. Oh, facts. And it was probably one of the best matches of the night and of the weekend as we had Eddie Kingston defeat Tomohiro Ishii in 13 minutes and 27 seconds. And everything you wanted, hoped, and prayed for in this match came true, including like a three-minute exchange in the beginning of this match that was nothing but chops. Hard-hitting, hard-hitting, strong style at its finest. This match just told what it needed to do, last man standing style. Ishii and, and Kingston tore the roof off the place. The crowd got back into it, and definitely this should have kicked off the main show, in my opinion, because there was so much energy going on with this, and this was just everything to get the crowd wound up, worked perfectly, and you know what I wouldn't mind seeing is this ran back one more time. I agree with you. I thought this was awesome. I loved the match, one of my favorites of the night, one of my favorites of the weekend, and I, I that's a fight forever for me. Yeah. Let's kick off All Out proper, shall we? Yes, let's do it. The opening contest of All Out was the Casino Ladder Match, uh, which I forgot the rules of this match, and I I hate them. Because mm-hmm. it affects you. the match. Because what we're going to talk about, for, first of all, here's the comp- competitors without the Joker. It was Andrade El Idolo, Claudio Castagnoli, Dante Martin, Penta El Zeromedo, Ray Phoenix, Roosh, and Wheeler Yuta. The match got 14 minutes and 16 seconds. Now, every couple minutes, a new. So we started off the match with two people, and then every couple minutes, another person would enter. Kind of Royal Rumble style, but it's a ladder match. Mm. Where this did not work for me. And I, I, there was some cool stuff that happened in the match. Don't get me wrong. There were some good spots. I enjoyed the match, but where it bogged down for me was having people come in. There was plenty of time in this match where literally the logical thing to do was, oh, I'm the only one in the ring. There's the ladder. Climb the ladder, just grab the chip, and it's over, and there's nobody there to stop you. Right. And we had that a bunch of times in the beginning, which it started off with Wheeler Yuta and uh, Ray Phoenix, and both of them had an opportunity in the first couple minutes where the other one was incapacitated, where they could have easily climbed it. As a matter of fact, Wheeler Yuta did at one point and had to wait around just so Roosh, who was taking his sweet-ass time to get to the ring, yeah. could knock him off the ladder. It, that was what drove me nuts. I think that everybody did a good job. There were some really cool spots. I enjoyed the spots in the match. I just think that the structure of the match, they should have just had everybody in the ring. They still could have brought out the Joker at the end, because we're going to talk about the finish in a second, and they could have done all of that the way it happened and just had him not be in the match the whole time, which is fine, mm-hmm. rather than do it the way they did. Thoughts on the match before we get to the end in the Joker? Serviceable. I thought that for telling the ladder match story, you hit it right on that. There was at least four times, two with Yuta, one with Andrade, and one with Phoenix, that they were literally waiting for people to come try to stop him from climbing the ladder, and it looked bad. The other stuff going on in the match, I thought they took a couple of really good uh, powerbomb spots. I thought Wheeler Yuta got really bent up with the one uh, sunset bomb he took. But overall, it was what it was, and then we had the ending. So the ending comes that uh, so everybody's in the ring except for the Joker. The Joker has not made the appearance yet. The countdown has started, and all of a sudden we get retribution. <laughs> yeah, it's the best way I can describe it, right? Bunch of people in black ski masks or face coverings and black outfits. Remember when retribution did their thing? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in saying? No, no, that? no. You're right because at first we all thought it was control your narrative. Oh yeah, uh, that was our, my first guess. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, is that control your narrative? And why has AEW got control your narrative? But anyways, I digress. So they take out everybody in the match, mm-hmm. and then one of the masked people climbs the ladder and gets the chip. And we're like, okay, so is this the Joker? You know, who, right. we, don't, we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then that person exposes that they are Stokely Hathaway. Yes. And then everybody else unmasks, and we have, you know, Big Cass, we, or W. Morrissey now, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Ethan Page. You have the Ass Boys, you know. Lee so Moriarty. Lori, Lee Moriarty. So this, the whole thing that, that Stokely's been putting together, they're all there. So you're like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But 
while we're trying to go, what's going on, the counter comes back on for the last 10 seconds. And we're like, okay, so whoever's the, the, the Joker's coming out. And obviously, it's Stokely's holding the, the chip out away from him. Like, yes. he's getting ready to hand it to somebody. So I'm like, okay, so whoever it is, they're going to hand the chip to. Like, it's, there, there was no, like, oh, maybe they're not going to. Well, it goes to zero. And then all of a sudden, we get the rolling fucking stone symphony for the devil. Yeah. God knows how much that costs. I know. And out comes a mask man in 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 all black but a, a devil mask. At first I know that we were like is that Bray is it Bray Wyatt? Did they pull off Bray Wyatt? And of course we see the guy and we're like he's much smaller. Yeah, than Bray he's Wyatt, much so smaller. There's no way it's Bray Wyatt. So the person walks to the ring, has some very familiar movements. Mm-hmm. We'll say we'll, we'll we'll try to be a little Whatever to the end of the show, we'll, we'll call it like we didn't know who it was already, or right. we did. Wink, wink, nudge, wink, nudge. wink, nudge, nudge. And so he gets in the ring. Stokely hands the person the chip. The person holds the chip up, matches over, wins the, the match, and then acts like they're going to unmask themselves, and then goes, "No, no, I'm not." And then wa- leaves the ring with retribution. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm calling him for right now. To the back, and we're all like, "Okay, we know who this is," but I kind of dig. How they won, but I don't like it in the match. If they would have done the match differently, what I'm saying is they should have done the match like a normal Money in the Bank style mm-hmm. ladder match where all the guys start in the ring. The Joker's just not there. They could have had a nice 20-minute match instead of 14 minutes. They could have done like 20-25, made it exciting. All the spots would have been there. We wouldn't have had the problems of, oh, some guy could have climbed out. Even if they didn't want to extend it, they could have still had it 15 minutes, but it would have been 15 solid minutes instead of us going, well, there's plenty of times in this match somebody could have just won the match, right? Right. So that would have gotten taken away. And on top of that, you could have still had Retribution, led by Stokely Hathaway, come out, take everybody out, and then have the Joker come out. Because the Joker belongs in the match regardless, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter when you come in or out. That's that's the rules. Come out and just get handed the chip. You could have done that same ending, but it made it more exciting and taken away the logic holes. That's my, that, that's my only gripe about it. Once again, I did enjoy some of the spots in the match, but there was a lot of downtime and a lot of weird time in it as well. I agree with you. I mean, there's just so much downtime. I think it just took away from the match for me. Seeing the Joker come out, that was a very cool thing. Uh, albeit, though, I was not expecting to hear the Rolling Stones come on the TV, but I was very happy about that. And the setup for it, it just depends on where they're going to go with it. And that's going to be the big question because we have seen for weeks Stokely Hathaway has been giving out business cards to people. Didn't have any idea what was going to come from this. Obviously, we see there is a faction of some sort. Something's going on. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But I agree with you. I think there was just too much miscommunication, if you will, from when wrestlers were on the ladders and they could have just climbed up and grabbed the chip to waiting for somebody else to get to the ring. Like you touched upon, Roosh took a sweet time. That was a that killed the momentum for me about that. <laughs> well, Wheeler Yuta sitting on the ladder. To yeah. the point that Ray Phoenix had to come and pull him off the ladder, which I don't think was part of the plan. No. And then he had to knock Ray Phoenix out, and then he still climbed the ladder and waited there a ridiculous amount of time still. Yeah. It was it was just odd. I don't I don't get it. Uh next up on the card though, we had the AEW World Trios title tournament final. We were going to crown a brand new first ever AEW Trios champion. Uh the teams that were involved was the Elite, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, and Nick Jackson, taking on the Dark Order made up of Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and of course Hangman Adam Page. This match got 17 minutes and two seconds. And I think this is one of the best matches tonight. We'll talk about the match in a second, but let's talk about the ending. The ending of this match comes as we are getting prepared for a buckshot lariat. Kenny Omega is being held up by John Silver after a bunch of false finishes. And it was a good match. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed the finishes in this match. I thought that it was good. There was a bunch of times I thought that both teams were going to win, and they didn't. And I thought it played out perfectly. Mm. 
But the end comes as Hangman Page does the buckshot lariat. Although Kenny Omega ducks, he takes out Silver. Nick Jackson takes out uh, Hangman Page and holds him down for the one, two, three from Kenny Omega and your first ever AEW Trios champions, the Elite, which you couldn't have telegraphed that shit anymore. I know. I, I think that they should have gone with the call of having it be the Dark Order. I thought there was more story there, but I digress. I understand. We're making EVPs happy, I guess. If you ask CM Punk, which we'll talk about in the main <laughs> event of the show, I'm sure that he agrees with that assessment, although I don't think he likes Hangman Page either. So, you know, there's a whole kit and caboodle. There's a lot going on there. However, the match itself I thought was very good. I liked it. It was serviceable. Uh, Kenny Omega looked like a million bucks in this match. Mm-hmm. It looked like they built into nice, a nice little comeback for him. The Bucks looked good in the match. Hangman Page uh, you know, told a good story because at one point in juncture in this match, Hangman Page has a second thought, Yeah, and that cost him. And even at the end of the match, it cost him. So I'm, I'm, I really thought the storytelling with this match was good. I thought the spots were good. Like I said, there was a ton of times that I thought either team could have won. Like, and it wasn't like one of those, oh, that is going to be a false finish. It was like, oh, shit, they're going to actually pull the trigger. It's going to be Dark Order. Oh, no, no the Elite's going to win. We already knew it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They didn't win. I mean, we almost saw a one-winged angel at one point, Judge. Yeah, we rolled through. up. Yeah. And we all were like, oh, that would have been the perfect time for the pin because I thought it was too. But, you know, hey. I thought the match played out great. I mean, I would have preferred Dark Order to be champions. However. We all knew it was going to be the elite, let's be honest. But it was a great match, so kudos to them. And I, um, once again, this is one of my picks for match of the night. We'll get to what I thought at the end, but this is one of my picks early on for match of the night. I'm right there with you. I thought this had great storytelling. And we always forget that Silver and Reynolds are actually very, very good. They don't get a lot of chance to really shine too much on AEW programming, in my opinion. But when they're put in a big spotlight like this, they definitely stepped up. And I think this another thing, too. The Bucks, probably because they knew they were winning, really looked like really in tune for this. Like they really got up for this match. Agreed. So it's it's kind of one of those situations they tipped their hand just a little too much. Somebody else did that later in the card, but we'll talk about that later. But I thought for what they wanted to do here, there was a lot of near finishes for both teams. They really told a good story. This was arguably my match of the night as well. I will say this was the second highest rated match of the night, according to Cage Match, at a 9.17 out of uh, 10 with 243 votes. Okay. So there, there you have it. I, th- I think that we all are kind of on the same page about that. Mm-hmm. The next matchup, though, could not be rated on cage match because it went less than five minutes. And I guess you cannot have a match rated unless it goes more than five minutes. Makes sense. Because that's the rules. And it was for the AEW TBS Championship. Your champion, Jay Cargill, defending against Athena at the end of the day, four minutes and 40 seconds. So just shy of five minutes. And still the TBS champion, Jay Cargill, carrying on her ways. Here's my important takeaways for the match. First of all, Let's talk about She-Hulk cosplay yes. from uh, Jay Cargill. How awesome was that? That was fantastic. I love that. And then let's talk about the match itself. I thought that they did a lot. I think Athena was the right opponent mm-hmm. to make Jade look even better than what she has. Like when you put Jade in there with uh, lesser talent, uh, especially since she's still green. I, yeah. I, and I don't mean that just because she was dressed up as She-Hulk. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, but she is still green. But she's got the biggest upside in wrestling. I've said it a million times. Mm-hmm. So if anybody thinks, that, oh, wow, he's he's making fun of her, absolutely no. not. I think she's going to be one of the biggest women stars that this business has ever seen at the end of the day. I hope Facts. I hope that Tony Khan and AEW can really nail her down for their product. If not, I guarantee she'll be on the other, on the other channel and she'll be a star. Mm-hmm. Like I can see her and Bianca Belair main eventing a couple WrestleManias if that's the choice that she decides to do yes with that being said though i think she's amazing and she's still green though 
Like, let's be honest. She's only had 37 professional matches. She's 37 and 0. This was her 37th professional match. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she puts a lot of work in. You can tell she does a really good job. But Athena, being the veteran she is and how good she is, made Jade look like a million bucks. It looked like Jade was a, was a, uh, a veteran as well because Athena just knew where to go. They even did this really crazy spot in the beginning where it looked like Athena was going to steal the victory in under a minute. Yeah. So that was crazy. I thought it was cool. At the end of the day, I like the storytelling in this match, though, because it wasn't just Jade beating Athena. We can go back to this match because it was the baddies who distracted Athena time after time until Jade can get the win. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, the story is, is that, yeah, Jade wins. She's 37-0. and 0. However, Athena almost beat her early and mm-hmm. quick. And, two, if it wasn't for the baddies, maybe Athena does beat her. How do you feel about the match as a whole? I thought the match was okay. I not, I think this is probably my least favorite of the night just because it looked like there was a lot of timing issues off between Athena and Jade. Just kind of, as you touched upon, Jade is still learning the business. It just kind of seemed like their styles were not meshing up that well for what they were trying to do. But I do like how they were involved in the baddie section and being you know the, the primary reason that Jade is winning. Jade is a heel, and that's how you should be doing these matches. So I thought overall it was a good match. But I just thought that there was a lot of timing issues that were just off. But I think like the more that they start getting familiar with each other's styles and what they're doing in the ring, I think there would be a lot better matches. I agree with you. But I, I think this was a great first like real test. Yeah, for a test, yes. For Jade. Because Absolutely. she she, uh, overco- she she accomplished it. And on top of that, with Athena being a veteran, Athena helped her out a ton. Yeah, because I think at one point, I want to even say it was like Jared from Punch the Timeline was saying you could definitely catch Athena was calling the spots in the matches. Yeah, guide her she, was very, she was very loud about it, which kind of sucked. But at the same time, you know what? I'd rather that and have same. the match look good than have her be quieter and Jade doesn't pick up on it and we have a botch fest. Yeah. They did not botch. If I, I don't think I saw a botch in the match. I think they did good. I maybe a slip up, but nothing big. Early, early, but 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 you touched on it. It wasn't anything that took away from the overall right. product. That's my whole thing. So that that should tell you. I would rather a little louder. We all know it's a work. Mm-hmm. Then and and no mistakes. Then a shit ton of mistakes and nobody heard it. So yeah. Like I said, Jade looked great in this match, and Athena did as well. Mm-hmm. But once again, I give the credit to the veteran. But Jade, you got to give it to her as well. Oh, absolutely. Put in, she's putting in that work. Damn it. Yep. Next up, we have the six-man tag team match that we were all waiting for as the FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood teamed with Wardlow to defeat, yes, right, defeat the team of Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns in 17 minutes and 59 seconds. Honestly, we knew this match was going to be good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way this match isn't good. Yeah. You have three of the most over people in FTR and Wardlow going against three of the best veterans in the business in Jay Lethal in the Motor City Machine Guns. And we got what was promised on the marquee. We got great tag team action from the Machine Guns. We got great, you know, Jay Lethal being the veteran he is and knowing exactly how to get over and get that heat during the match. We got Wardlow, who is fucking over. Mm-hmm. And then we got the FTR. It's on a whole other plane as the greatest tag team in the world today. Yep. And this match, in my opinion, Super good. Lots of great spots to it. I, the things that I didn't like were kind of like, I didn't like necessarily the cheapness that they did with Sanjay Dutt and the, 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 the fight like an eight year old girl. And he crossed out girl and had Brad on his yeah. shirt. I get what they were going for, but it was more of a cheap heat thing. I did like how, uh, Dax's daughter came out in the beginning Mm-hmm. Uh, on the ramp and gave a hug to Wardlow and her dad and, and Cash. That was cool. And I like, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. I like how she came back out at the end, too. I thought the ending was good. We'll talk about it after we talk about the match. But at the end of the day, I thought this match was very good. 
I knew it was going to be good. I was upset about it because I think all of these guys should have been doing something different and better. Mm-hmm. However, I, it was a great match. One of my favorites of the night. I, don't, I can't say it was my number one or two, but it's up there. It was a great match. Great match for the weekend. What's your feelings about the match itself? Excellent match. We knew when everybody was announced for this that this was going to be a huge one to keep our eyes on. I'm surprised they just didn't do Wardlow versus Jay Lethal and then have FTR defend the tag titles against uh, the Motor City Machine Guns. But that's not my call to make. That's TK's. This is a situation, though, they told a great story for what they were doing. I, I agree with the, the cheap heat stuff I, I could have done without. Samoa Joe coming in there was kind of a cool I was nod. Say to, we'll get there in a minute, but yeah, <laughs> that's the end of the match. But, yes, the cheap heat stuff was a little eh. Yeah, but but overall, it did what it needed to do. So you already brought the cat out of the bag. At the end of the match, of course, the heels can't defeat you. They don't like the fact that they won. They start jumping the faces. And then, of course, out comes the Submoan Submission Machine, your ROH World Television Champion. Mm-hmm. And that was his return. He kind of beats some people up, and uh, including throwing uh, Sanjay Dutt back in the ring, which brings out Dax's daughter. Uh, Finley, Finley mm-hmm. gets in the ring. Uh, she snaps his pencil. Dax knocks her out. Uh, knocks out uh, Sanjay with a right hand, and she gives him the uh, old foot on the chest pin for the one, two, yeah. three. I thought it was cool. Fun ending. It was a fun ending. Uh, it was cool to see his daughter get involved. Of course, it was great to see Samoa Joe back. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And uh, somehow Samoa Joe also got a laceration on his face, even though I didn't see him take yeah, any. Off- Nobody got any offense on him. I don't know how that happened. Hopefully, it, he didn't get hurt too bad. Yeah, I agree with you. Next up on the card, it was a match that we were super stoked about, and it didn't deliver, and I don't think it's the fault of the performers. And we're going to talk about it, of course. Uh, that would be Powerhouse Hobbs defeats Ricky Starks at 5 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, Cage Match agrees with us because, by the way, this is their lowest one of the night at a 4.71 out of 10 with 149 votes. And I'm going to tell you why people are upset about it. These are two young, homegrown talents of AEW. Mm-hmm. Ricky Starks should have a rocket ship stretched, you know, strapped to his back and he should be hitting the moon right now as we speak. Yep. Powerhouse Hobbs should also have a rocket ship strapped to his back and he should also be on the moon. He's a monster. He's good in the ring. He's entertaining. Ricky Starks, Ricky Starks is a young rock. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. You can't deny that man's talent. You can't deny that Powerhouse Hobbs has come into his own as this giant. Like, he is a guy who should be going head-to-head with Wardlow and with the Battle of the Titans right now in a series of matches, and we should be, like, going, oh, my God, we're witnessing, you know, these two big bulls locking horns as both of them are going to go on to bigger and better things, in my opinion. Right. Instead, what we get in this match is we get a good, solid match for five minutes, and then out of nowhere, we get a spine buster from Powerhouse Hobbs and a pin on Ricky Starks. Yeah, this just did, like I'm I, not saying that I'm mad the powerhouse won, but can we give him a better ending than just an out of nowhere spine buster that we all were like, okay, the match is going to continue on, and then it's one, two, three. We're like, what the fuck just happened? Anticlimactic. That's the easiest way you can describe this match. This was a good showcase for the future AEW Starks. I thought should have got over and then let him go from there because now it's almost like. If you want to try establishing a different story for him, does it really make a lot of sense? Because he was on that path, got rid of Team Taz, got turned by his partner. He is ready to go and really start making a singles run towards either the TNT title or world title, like depending on what you want to go for. So to see him kind of have this falter and Hobbs get the win here, very surprising, was not expecting it. And now just kind of curious to see where we go from here because with Hobbs getting that big win, I don't doubt he faces Wardlow sooner than later, as he should. I agree. I I just don't I don't get it. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. It's not always for me to get right. Mm-hmm. 
All right. That is going to bring us to another match. Yes, that's right. We still got more to go, Ken. Don't, oh, yes. Don't fall asleep yet. <laughs> uh, next up, AEW World Tag Team titles are on the line. Swerve in our glory. Uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland defending the belts against the acclaimed Anthony Bowen and Max Caster with Billy Gunn in their corner. This match got 21 minutes at the end of the day and still your AEW World Tag Team champions. Swerve in our glory. Um, listen, I actually like this match. Yeah. I do have some detractions, but I really like this match. First attraction is it went a little too long. I think it should have, if they would have caught five minutes, not that the, not that it necessarily hurt it being five minutes longer, but if you would have cut five minutes, I think it would have saved some more time for later in the show. Plus on top of that, I don't think anything really was that effective that happened in those five minutes. I did like the fact that the acclaimed was over like gangbusters. Uh, Chicago didn't get the memo that they're supposed to be the heels, I guess. Right. Uh, I don't know if they are heels or not, but I, I, once again, I think they were supposed to be, but I give credit all day to Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and taking the heel role and just running with it out of nowhere. Um, but I, I thought that it was great that the crowd was so into him to the point that I think that my other mistake of this match, not only could it have been five minutes shorter, once again, it's still a good match. No matter what, it's a great match. I want to throw that out there. Mm. But five minutes shorter, it would have been even better in my opinion. And at the end of the day, I think they should have called the audible. I think the acclaim should have walked out the titles that night just because that crowd would have lost their shit when they thought that they won. They yeah. lost their shit. Uh, your thoughts on the match match was great. Really enjoyed the chemistry between both teams. Uh, it was kind of, though, an odd vibe with uh, Swerve and Lee. Because as the Acclaim came out to do their raps, they turned their backs to him. They didn't even face him. They were acting like they they just really embraced the heel role right away, which I wasn't sure if that was in the game plan, but it is what it is. And just a couple of mannerisms, too, that Swerve was giving off that I thought, like, okay, something's not right here. And it was mostly Swerve, yes. Yeah, it was mostly on Swerve's end. So I'm not sure what was going on there. Not trying to say there was more to it. Just me watching at home. I know we're not talking about the the presser yet, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on their part of the presser anyways. I think that's what they're running with that team, though, because it feels like Swerve is cocky and confident, like almost heelish. And then you have Keith Lee, who is the more down-to-earth respectable, because remember, even in the later on in the, the scrum, mm-hmm. like Swerve's answering these cocky, arrogant, like, we're the mountain, we're this and that. And then Keith Lee's like, I just like good competition. Yeah. I like to go out there and have a good athletic thing. Now, you can push me to be – overly competitive like my friend here but you know so it's kind of this weird like reserved facious you know keith lee yeah and then strickland's almost playing a heel period anyways so i don't know if that's what they were trying to get across in the match but it was real fucking confusing it was very very confusing and i think the chicago crowd was definitely eating up whatever they were giving them and really got behind the acclaimed and there was a couple times in that match that i thought they should have called the audible just of how the room was reacting they didn't, and in, like, listen, it's fine. But I think at the end of the day, they should have, because that crowd would definitely explode. Like this reminded me, and I know I sent this in our message group. This reminded me of when they had the triple threat at Double or Nothing, when it was Pac, Omega, and Orange Cassidy, and Orange Cassidy had Omega dead to rights for the pin and didn't do it. And then they did seven more minutes where Omega just squashed them. I felt that this had the same kind of vibe to it. I think that they claim should have won. Outright, I think they drug this on about five, seven minutes too long just to establish the point of, the you know, Swerve and Lee wanted to send a message. Well, it was just not just that, but they also wanted to get the, the descent in the ranks because there was twice in this match where they set up a spot where Swerve or Keith Lee was off on the other one and it led to a little bit of, you know, 
rubbing against each other. So we're always, are they going to break up? Aren't they going to yeah. break up? Kind of story, which I, I just don't, I don't dig. Yeah, they've been running with that for so long now, too, though. And That's... I mean, even in the post match, you know, you had Keith Lee uh, do the scissor uh, with uh, Daddy Ass. Yeah, that whole. And then, of course, the acclaimed. I, I, to my, to their credit, Keith Lee offered it up to the acclaimed, and they were like, nah. And they left. Mm. And I like that because I'm tired. Like, I think the handshake spot wrestling's going. And then Swerve was giving Lee the business. Like, why would you do that? Yo, well, that's the whole point, too. Like, I think that whole that whole ending they should not have done. Like, they should have read the room because the crowd was super pissed that Swerve and Lee won. And listen, you can just do that in the backstage area, and then that's a fine segment. But in front of the crowd, it was just kind of like, why are we doing this? Well, I mean, I get that they want to show respect. But at the same time, I'm tired of that. What they should have done. What they really, really honestly should have done is when Keith Lee went to give the scissors to Daddy Ass, Swerve should have kicked him in the face. Yeah. And then caused like a kerfluffle. The champs went outside the ring. They claimed they're like, what the hell is going on? Like, what's wrong with you guys? And even Keith Lee's like, what are you doing? And just like that, the power went out. I swear somebody heard us talking. So if you guys hear a little bit of you're we're leaving in the clip so you guys know, obviously. Uh, so as we're recording, the power went out. We went from the ODPH studio to the 8122 production studios, which is technically on the same street, just down the road a few miles and the power was still out. So we broke out the blue Yeti cause we're, we don't know when the power's coming back on and we're dedicated to getting the show to you. So we do apologize if it sounds a little different from what it did. I think we're getting the best quality sound we're going to get. Thankfully, However, you guys will probably notice a slight difference. So we do apologize, but it's out of our hands. Yeah, this is a situation that we're making the best of because we obviously want to get the show out to you because there's so much to discuss that trying to wait any longer, we're just going to have more to discuss later on. And honestly, we have to get talking about this because AEW had a big night and obviously they're dominating the headlines right now. So we definitely want to give our takes. All right. So where we left off was the AEW World Tag Team title match. I think we said about as much as we could for that. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on on the card for All Out. And we are at the AEW Interim Women's World Title four-way match. Uh, the Tony Storm, Dr. Brick Baker, DMD, Hakuro Shida, and Jamie Hayter all vying to become the interim AEW Women's World Champion. This match got 14 minutes and 50 seconds at the end of the day. And your... New AEW Interim World's Women's Champion, Tony Storm. How did you feel about the match, Ken M? Uh, telegraphed. Easiest way to describe it. Tony Storm kind of gave it away with her facial expressions. She was already starting to cry when she was coming to the ring. So obviously you knew something was up there. So this match was solid for what it was. I think the one thing that we all took as a takeaway was Jamie Hayter versus Britt Baker is finally happening. So they started planting those seeds. But the ending just kind of seemed to be a very generic DDT, DDT, right home, done. Right on. Uh, I agree. I just uh, We knew it was going to be Tony Storm. I mean, I was hoping that they would throw us a, a curveball and maybe give the belt just back to Britt Baker just because, obviously, she's the face of the women's division. But, you know, that wasn't in the cards, and we got what we got. So I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to ride over spill milk, but it, it is what it is, good sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we had the grudge match. Between Christian Cage and Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Yes, that is correct. It is now officially Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Interesting. It is more of a nickname. As a matter of fact, they have him listed just as Jack Perry here in the results. Uh, this match got 33 seconds. Yeah. Uh, that's the official bell time because before, you know, Christian Cage comes to the ring, after he comes to the ring, Jungle Boy is on his way to the ring and he gets attacked from behind by Luchasaurus, who then gives him this devastating choke slam. 
onto the metal grate, which cut up Jungle Boy's back pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Then he proceeded to carry his carcass towards the ring. He then put him through a table before sliding him in the ring. And Jungle Boy says, nope, I still want to fight Christian Cage. You know, more more balls than uh, brains. Yep. His, obviously, his mother and sister looking on from the crowd, very nervous and upset. And then uh, Christian Cage hits him with a spear. He does kick out before hitting him with the unprettier for the one, two, three. 33 seconds later, very big squash match. There's a lot of people uh, saying that that's because Christian's not 100%. However, if he's not 100%, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't get the squash match in this match because this was supposed to be a grudge match. Maybe just change it to Luchasaurus versus him then. I don't. I, I, I honestly was not a fan of this, and it's just, I don't know. This is boring. This is a waste of time, especially for all the build that was supposed to be involved with this. We all knew that this Luchasaurus heel turn was coming on. They just did the new theme music. They did the whole shape up of the mask. So, honestly, to have it be a letdown like this, this was definitely enough in the grades. Oh, I agree. I'm just not a big fan of this one. Uh, next up on the uh, docket, we had a singles match where Chris Jericho, that's right, the Lionheart Chris Jericho, defeated Brian Danielson in 13 minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, kind of short for this match, although this is a very good technical match. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be, so I'm going to give it a credit for that. How did you feel about Chris Jericho versus Brian Danielson? Would have been great 10 years ago, but here we are. Uh, the match was solid for what it, w- it needed to be. Obviously, when Chris Jericho goes into the different personas, you don't really know what you're going to get out of this. Uh, I think the problem about keeping the tights on for both gentlemen was kind of a little bit of an issue. Plus, didn't really understand how we had the Machine Gun Kelly-esque uh, look, uh, look-alike there singing at the beginning. And just kind of, it was kind of really distracting overall. But I thought the match was what it, it was okay for what it was. Uh, I, I can agree with you to an extent. I just didn't, I'm not a big, I wasn't a big fan of this match, uh, like overall. But it was better than I thought it was. It was a better than average match. I thought it was very good. I know a lot of people were super happy with it. If you were, that's cool. That's your opinion. That's your take. Uh, I just can't say that I was amongst them. So, yeah. Next up, we had a six-man tag team match where the House of Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black with Julia Hart in the corner defeated the team of Darby Allin, Sting, and Miro, 12 minutes and 10 seconds. I thought this was a lot of fun, and this was an unexpected gem because I thought that this was kind of a throwaway six-man. And meanwhile, it ended up being one of the more fun matches, although the ending was not a fan. Uh, you could barely see Sting spit the black mist into Malachi Black's yeah. face before he eats the pin from... Uh, Darby Allen, so I was not understanding of that part of it. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about the post-match poach match in a minute. How'd you feel about the match, first of all? Match was solid for what it was. Uh, it was fun. I mean, obviously, you got to get Sting out there, so made sense. Uh, hated the ending, though. The fake mist or whatever the look-alike mist, whatever you want to call it, just did nothing for me. I was like, okay, this is really taken away from the match. I agree. Uh, at the end of the day, though, and on not caught on camera, but caught by people inside the attendants and, of course, the reporters, is at the top of the ramp, uh, Malachi Black hugged both the members of uh, the House of Black, or, well, actually all three members of House of Black, turned around to the crowd, blew a kiss to the crowd, and bowed and left. Mm. Uh, a lot of speculation going on at Tony Khan and the scrum, which we weren't going to talk about. We're going to talk about the scrum, what the, the eventful stuff that happened in the main event portion of the show. However, we weren't really necessarily going to talk about that part of the scrum, so we can say it right now. Uh, he just would no comment on it. Yeah. Uh, kind of puzzling action to go on, but obviously we've been hearing a lot of the different rumors and talk. You kind of have an idea of something that was going on. So uh, if this is it for now, then it's been an interesting run, and we'll have to see where we see him next. 
Absolutely. And last but not least, the main event of the evening for the AEW World title, your champion, John Moxley, defending against the uh, man who signed his name on the contract and who he had recently beat to you know, unify the two belts, CM Punk. This match got 19 minutes and 55 seconds. At the end of the day, your winner and new All Elite Wrestling World's heavyweight champion for the second time, CM Punk. Uh, we'll talk about what happened after the match, but let's talk about the match itself. I thought this match was really good. 19 minutes and 55 seconds. It was a decent length. I thought they told a good story. Uh, Punk bled buckets in the ring. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the reversal of a role where, uh, Moxley was the one that allegedly bleeds all the time, but Punk is the one that bled. I thought it was a really cool story. Uh, Moxley though was making me a little sick with his drinking of the blood and licking the blood and everything else. Yeah, you suck it weird with that. Moxley doing weird things, but, uh, outside of that, I was very impressed with the match. I thought that it was as good as we all thought it was. I didn't necessarily like how the story took us here. However, uh, the, the, the you know what happened inside the ropes was very good. So, what did you think about the match? Match was solid. Really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I guess I'm still kind of tainted a little bit from when we saw this a couple weeks ago. Because I thought that that match really took away from what this one could have been. Because if I didn't see it on Dynamite, I probably would have really enjoyed this one a lot more. But this one felt so predictable, I just kind of tuned out. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, they telegraphed this one. There's a bunch of them that were telegraphed, but for the most part, I enjoyed the match. After the match, though, is where the where the real action happened. Yeah. And that is, of course, the lights went out, and we got treated to what sounded like voice messages. And I can only assume those voice messages came from uh, the you know Tony Khan because it sounded like Tony Khan, and it was basically like, "Hey, you're putting me in a hard place here. Uh, I really need you know I really need you back. Mm. I don't care what we have to do. You know what? I'll, I'll waive the extension. You don't have to say it. I'll give you more money, uh, but you know I need you to come back it all out. This is the final offer. I need you to come back it all out, and uh, you know have to sign an extension. I'll give you more money, and uh, you can be in the in the ladder match. You can you know if you win the ladder match, you can get a title shot. I just need you to come back at all. This is the final offer." And then it goes to like a kind of screen and it goes back to Ring of Honor where CM Punk was cutting, you know, the the greatest trick the, the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he didn't exist. And then it goes back to the shh before it cuts to what we're assuming is backstage. Mm. And it was the masked man from earlier. We see now the devil on the screen. He turns his back to the camera. He takes off the mask. And from the back of the head, you can already tell it's MJF. Yeah. Uh, but still, he puts on the scarf. And the crowd goes nuts, and it go, fades to black. We go back to the arena where it's all black. And then the screen starts to come back on as MJF's theme music plays, and he mm. walks out onto the stage. Uh, CM Punk standing in the ring, uh, motioning at him, holding the belt up, telling him to come get it. And MJF smirking and making the belt sign around his waist. Uh, so the return of, of MJF. More importantly, though, when all this is happening, the Chicago hometown crowd, you know, for punk, and they're sitting there going, chanting MJF very loudly. So it was a nice return for MJF uh, for CM Punk. How did you feel about how they handled the MJF return at the end of the night? To be honest with you, I was more shocked at the Tony Khan phone, or, uh, phone calls there. I, I'm hoping that that was a work because if that's like the behind the scenes of what was going on and those are actual real messages, I, I don't know how I think about that long term, to be honest with you. But I thought they handled MJF's return well. I mean, obviously, he's one of the biggest stars. We weren't really sure how the crowd was going to react. Obviously, Chicago turned on punk, which I think led to some other things after the show, which was interesting to see. 
because this whole story has been based on Punk's love for Chicago, and now his love has been shifted to somebody else. So, interesting to see how this all plays out. A lot of questions right now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, unfortunately, we have a, a lot going on, and uh, I don't know what's going. I would have preferred, and I know they've never done this with a chip before, but I would have preferred a lot of money in the bank style cash in over this. Yeah. I think they should have just made him champion that night. I think the crowd would have enjoyed that. I understand some people will be like, well, they hot shot the belt. Well, it's not. It's not really hot shotting because – it would have made perfect sense storyline-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no indication where he's at with the Stokely Hathaway retribution group that I kept picking on earlier because they didn't join him at the end. I don't know if they were just paid mercenaries f- to get the heist done or if this is going to be a faction going forward. I mean, I know it's going to be Stokely's faction going forward, but maybe they're just hitmen for hire. Yeah. I don't know. but uh, Or maybe MJF leads this group. Who knows? Uh, that, that wasn't really made abundantly clear here. Uh, I'm sure that uh, that's good storytelling, though, because I'm sure that'll be made clear on Wednesday on Dynamite and going into the future. We don't need to know all the details Mm -hmm. right up front. I am assuming that MJF will be getting his AEW world title shot at Grand Slam from New York City. Mm. That would be my assumption. Yeah. My assumption is that he would get it there where he'd get the hero's welcome and would also probably end up being your All Elite Wrestling World Champion. Uh, so for those people who are like, oh, they don't want to take the belt off of people too soon, where does the same day or a few weeks later really make a difference? Yeah. In my opinion, I think it would just been a better storyline. That's just my take. Uh, but with that being said, that was AEW's All Out event. That was our review for AEW All Out. And, of course, before that, WWE's Clash at the Castle. We always want to hear from you. Hit us up on the socials, of course. Uh, the, you can find all of them at odphpodcast.com and 3fnpodcast.com. You know, we mostly live on Twitter, though, so that's at 3fnpodcast and at odphpodcast, respectively. Let us know what you thought. With that being said, though, we are going to take a break. When we come back from the break, it's going to be the mid-card, and we're going to cover everything that went down at the Second City Summit, the GCW and Black Label Pro through, and also NXT's Worlds Collide. All that and more after this break. come and go, holding back my fits of passion, driving down a no-through road, looking for a place to stay. I've been feeling like I owe. Of my conviction, you're the apple of my eye, from the skin down to the core. <laughs> now he tosses to and fro in the freedom of his fiction. It was in. back and it is now time for the mid card of this week's edition of 607 podcast presents the wrestling show better known as hashtag 607 TWS uh Ken M are you ready to talk some game changer wrestling I am always ready to talk some game changer wrestling let's do this all right so first up we have 
going down this weekend, we had the Second City Summit, which was a bundle that was offered on Fight.TV mostly, although there was one show on IndependentWrestling.TV. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the bundle was $29.99 for three events. That included uh, the first event we're going to talk about, the third event we're going to talk about, and the fourth event, uh, respectively. I will bring them up as a, all of them to kill it off now come from Hoffman Estates and Illinois at the Grand Sports Arena. So the first event went down at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, 11 or uh, 10.59 p.m. East or Central Standard Time where it was located. Uh, if, and that was GCW and Black Label Pro present Four Cups Stuffed. Of course, uh, that was an event they do every year in combination with one another. No different this year. You ready to talk about the card? Yeah, let's do it. All right, the opening contest was a six-man tag team match where Gringo Loco, Latigo, and Toxin defeated ASF, Drago Kid, and Laredo Kid, 14 minutes and 32 seconds. And this extreme lucha style is always a blast. This was a great opener. Absolutely perfect way to open up the show. Love this match. All right, next up we had a singles match where Speedball Mike Bailey defeated Smiley Kylie Ray in 14 minutes and 24 seconds. Very good match, very underrated match. Uh, I thought Kylie Ray did an amazing job in this match. Thought she did a really good job too. I mean, this was just a fun match. Obviously, coming off the opener, it had a lot of good energy going into this one. Absolutely. Next up was one that hit the internet and hit the internet hard as the Iron Demon Shane Mercer defeated Marco Stunt in 14 minutes and 30 seconds. And uh, the highlight that I'm sure most people saw on the internet was of uh, Shane Mercer, who's one of the strongest men in all of wrestling, throwing Marco Stunt probably five rows back. A la old school ECW when Bam Bam Bigelow did that to little mm. Spike Dudley. Of course, I made the comment that I wish this would happen. I got my wish. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, uh, at the expense of Marco Stunt, although he appeared to be fine. Great match, though, overall. Marco Stunt starting to hit a really, a really good spot in his return to independent wrestling. Well, that's one thing you got to take away from this is Marco, much like Joey Janela, is just finding that renaissance in their careers from being with AEW. This was a fun match. Obviously, Shane Mercer is just a freak of nature in his own right. Fun time watching this one. Uh, not shocked at the outcome at all. The internet marks really love this one, ladies and gentlemen, uh, myself included, because we had Killer Kelly and Filthy Tom Waller defeat the team of Space Jesus Billy Starks and, of course, Brian Alvarez. Yes, that Brian Alvarez. This match got 16 minutes and two seconds, and everybody was happy when Filthy Tom Lawler and Killer Kelly got their hands on Brian Alvarez. Salutes to the winning team there, because, yeah, that was a great moment to see. Next up was a special attraction match on the card, and I know it, was, it looked like and was a lot of fun as the bad boy, Joey Janela, defeated the cat, Ernest the Cat Miller, 12 minutes and 16 seconds. Joey doing Joey things. Love seeing it. Absolutely. Next up on the card, one of the MVPs of GCW, Masha Slamovich. She defeated Sandra Moon, 8 minutes and 25 seconds. Sandra Moon's making quite the name for herself, but Masha Slamovich is a machine in GCW. How'd you like the match? Love the match. Thought this was one of the best matches of the weekend, so definitely excited to see. And like you touched on, Masha is definitely making her name in GCW right now. Next up, Black Label Pro Heavyweight Championship on the line as Calvin Tankman, your champion, defends against Rich Swan in uh, 10 minutes and 16 seconds. And still, Black Label Pro Heavyweight Champion Calvin Tankman. Tankman, man, proving why he's a beast, beating the veteran Swan, looking great doing it. Tremendous match. Great match. Real good test for Tankman, and he did pass the flying colors. In the main event of the evening, it was a 14-man tag team war as Team GCW, All Heart, 
Blake Christian, Ciclope, Cole Radrick, Jordan Oliver, Miedo Extremo, Nick Wayne, and Tony Deppin defeated the Team Black Label Pro of August Matthews, Crash Jackson, Davey Bang, Dominic Garini, Joshua Bishop, Kevin Koo, and Levi Everett in 16 minutes and 21 seconds. This was a clusterfuck, but a tremendous clusterfuck. I enjoyed every single moment of it. I second all that. This was an absolute walking disaster, but I was here for it. Great match. Absolutely, man. Uh, that's going to bring us to Saturday afternoon. Uh, so, now, mind you, this is the only show that wasn't on Fight.TV. Right. This was IndependentWrestling.TV, and of course, it is GCW The Settlement Series Part 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can watch it right now on IWTV uh, for your monthly, uh, you know, membership fee of $9.99 a month. It's great. You can see other great action. Also, this weekend, we won't have time to cover it, but there was a great prestige West Coast Pro joint show that yep. also went down this weekend as well on IWTV and so much more. However, let's talk about this card. And uh, this this event was show and tell. Mm-hmm. So every wrestler on this card brought something to show uh, for show and tell. And the winner got to take both show and tell things. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, I, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I will go through my favorite to give an example. It's match two. But in match one, we had a tag team match where the Bang Bros, August Matthews and Davey Bang, defeated Yokai, Janai Kai, and uh, Yoya. Very good match. The second match is the one that I want to bring up mm-hmm. because Jai Vidal defeated J.J. Garrett, the return of J.J. Garrett. Of yep. course, Thoddy Steiner. I was going to say, haven't seen him in a while. J.J. Uh, Garrett brought a condom full of his essence and Jai Vidal brought a towel that was used to clean the jism off of his back from Scott Steiner from not Scott Steiner from JJ Garrett the night before oh jeez Jai Vidal did win that match by the way yeah Uh, Jai Vidal is amazing and uh, he got it got to show out all weekend Mm mm-hmm Next up, Sandra Moon defeated the West Barkley, Maserata West Barkley, making his GCW debut. De- was defeated by Sandra Moon. After that, Heather Reckless defeated Bradley Prescott the Fourth with Adam Slade and Mortar and Saving Gouge and Xavier Sky in a five-way match. Uh, I do know that Bradley Prescott the Fourth put Adam Slade up as his show and tell, so he lost his tag team partner. <laughs> uh, next up, Space Jesus Billy Starks defeated Brogan Finley. Followed by a four-way match where Axton Ray defeated Jake Lander, Storm Grayson, and Terry Yaki. By the way, a lot of those names came up uh, from the Georgia show. Glad to see them back. Absolutely. Uh, Next up, it was a six-man tag match as Dylan McQueen, Hunter Drake, and Jeffrey John defeated Bobby Flacco, Rico Gonzalez, and Sean Campbell in another banger. Followed by Everett Connors defeating Jimmy Lloyd. Boy, Jimmy Lloyd's had a rough weekend. He's had a rough weekend. I was actually surprised Connors pulled this one out. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Jimmy Lloyd later. Yeah. Uh, ASF defeated Chase Barnett, which is always good to see Chase back with his old man gimmick. Mm-hmm. And last but certainly not, in the main event of the evening in a six-man tag match, the team of the Ratty Daddy, the king of wreck shit mountain, Cole Raderick. By the way, right now, Cole Raderick's in the life of is up on IWTV. Uh, tagged with the Iron Demon Shane Mercer and 607 TWS's favorite asshole Tony Deppin as they defeated Los Macisos, Ciclope, and Miedo Extremo, who were teaming with Drago Kid. Solid main event. Great main event, by the way. Great main event. Uh, can't say much more about it. It was a real fun show. Go check it out. A lot of great action. Even though they treat them kind of funny with the advertisements and the little stipulations, they're a lot of fun and they're a lot of entertainment. So check them out. 
Uh, let's go on to Saturday night, though, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. Central. We got GCW The Art of War 2022. And uh, let's jump right in because this was a, one of those ones that's a must-watch, in my opinion, for everybody. We opened the show with a DDT, DDT Extreme Title Two-Ring Ladder Scramble Fuck Fest brought to you by Pat's Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Love the name of this. It was a mouthful. Uh, at the end of the day, Joey Janela defends and retains his DDT Extreme title as he defeated Cole Radrick, Dante Leone, Drago Kid, Gringo Loco, Speedball Mike Bailey, and our favorite asshole Tony Depp in 18 minutes and 26 seconds. This match was a killer opener. Absolutely perfect way to kick off the show because you knew it was going to get wild, and obviously they had no problem using those ladders. Next up, All Heart, a.k.a. the best in the fucking world, Blake Christian, defeated... Alex Shelley in 13 minutes and 31 seconds in a tremendous wrestling fight match. Surprise of the outcome, but one of my favorite matches of the weekend. Next up, we had a tag team match as Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis defeated the team of the East Coast Ace, Jordan Oliver, and All Elite Nick Wayne in 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Hey, even in loss, though, Wayne and Oliver, mm-hmm. two young, the two young aces coming up, doing their thing, had a great match with Aussie Open. Excellent match. Love seeing Aussie Open and GCW. Hope to see more of them back. Next up, we had a kind of a death match adjacent. I would say it's death match. Yeah, I'd say so. They didn't list it as one, but it was a death match between Sawyer Wreck as Sawyer Wreck defeated Charlie Evans 15 minutes and 23 seconds. There was definitely blood. There was blood. There was a lot of wild action going on, and this was a great match. I really enjoyed this one. Last but certainly not least, the main <laughs> event of the evening. It was a GCW Tag Team Title five-way Wall Games match for the Tag Team Championships. Your champions, the Briscoes, Mark and Jay Briscoe, took on Bussy, Ali Cachanefi, Los Macisos, Ciclopeo Miedo Extremo, Alex Colon and John Wayne Murdoch, better known as the Mega Bastards, and the second gear crew of Mance Warner and Matthew Justice. This match got 31 minutes in one second. By the way, the rules were simple. We started off with two, we started off with two tag teams in the ring, mm. and then every five minutes another tag team was added. It was elimination style, but you couldn't start eliminations till all teams were in the ring. Correct. Eliminations could be done by submission or pinfall, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, and we saw some crazy shit in this match. Uh-huh, to put it mildly. Uh, there's a lot of them that we shared. I mean, at one point in juncture, Matthew Justice came flying off the top of some scaffolding. And not the top of, like, where you have the base. Yeah. He climbed to the top of the railing of the scaffolding. Yep. And flipped into the ring. We see people go through panes of glass, barbed wire. At the end of the day, when it was all said and done, though, UE had new Game Changer Wrestling World Tag Team Champions, and it was Alex Cologne and the Duke of Hardcore, John Wayne Murdoch, best of friends, best of enemies who became best of friends, and they are the Mega Bastards, and they are your new Game Changer Wrestling World Tag Team Champions. You knew it was going to be a wild night when the Briscoes opened up against SGC as the first two teams of the night. Had no hesitation going to get the light tubes, had no hesitation going to get anything. This match just got completely out of control in a hurry, and I loved it. The fact that we had, was a Cyclope decided to jump off the scaffolding with light tubes uh, attached to the stomach. Like, this whole match just got completely out of control. You knew it was going to be crazy. It lived up to the hype, and very, very surprised, but happily surprised to see the Murdoch and Cologne are your tag team champs. I just want to throw this out there. Guess what? That wasn't even it for the weekend, though. No. We had one more event. They went down at noon Eastern Standard Time, 11 p.m. 
or 11 a.m., sorry, Central Time. And that, of course, was Effie's Big Gay Brunch Part 5. Yes. Uh, let's talk about this card, shall we? Uh, the opening contest was between Devin Monroe and Jay Vidal. Uh, Devin Monroe wins via pinfall. But at the end of the match, Jay Vidal, uh, Devin Monroe goes to get a handshake from Jay Vidal. Jay Vidal kicks the hand out of the way and spits in Devin Monroe's face, making uh, Jay, Jay Vidal is now kind of a heel in the world here. Perfectly all right with this. Great match to open. And Vidal's been on fire. Next up, we had a... Uh, Admiral Lord Montevin's rules match hmm. between Edith Surreal and Jordan Blade. Edith, by, by the way, how this works, the rules of the match were explained. It's a two out of three falls match with six rounds of three minutes. Uh, however, it was noted on commentary that it was only going to be four rounds, which is kind of weird. Mm. Surreal scored the... Uh, so basically, the round stopped if you got a pinfall or a submission, or if it went to time, it was decided or a draw. Right. Uh, in Edith Surreal's corner, of course, there's breaks because of rounds, she had speedball Mike Bailey. And Jordan Blade had Yokai in, oh, in, in her corner. Uh, at the end of the day, though, Edith, or it was considered a draw. They had to go to an extra round, and it was a draw. They pinned each other in the line. So we got a draw. You know what? But it works, though, for what they were trying to do. Next, day, next up, we had the gayest tag gantlet match. Uh, and we had a lot of it. So to start the match off, we had... Uh, Mateo Valentine and Joe, Joey Mayberry take on the runaway Calvin Couture and Tyler Klein. Uh, the runaway ended up eliminating uh, Mateo Valentine and Joey Mayberry. So the next team out was represented and accompanied to the ring by Pollo Del Mar, the manager of champions. Mm. And that would be Money, Power, Respect, Fabuloso Fabricio, and Marco uh, Muir. Uh, Money, Power, Respect defeated the runaway to move on. Next team out to take on Money, Power, Respect was MSP, Aiden Agro, and Danger Kid. And uh, somehow MSP pulled off the upset and defeated Money, Power, Respect. Mm. To set up the last match of the McQueens, Eddie McQueen and Dylan McQueen, uh, t- taking on MSP, Aiden Agro, and Danger Kid. And that match was phenomenal. Like, all of this was great, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. But the finals were great, and the McQueens... Eddie McQueen and Dylan McQueen win via pinfall to win the gayest gauntlet. Great action. And, you know, obviously doing a gauntlet style like this, you, you weren't sure what you were going to get, but this flew very quickly and very impressed with NPR there. Uh, next up, we had Ashton Starr taking on Sandra Moon. Another great match. Sandra Moon doing her thing. Ashton Starr, though, showed a lot of aggression in this match. Showed a mean streak that we don't usually see in Ashton Starr. And it paid off big time because Ashton Starr was your winner. Yes. Phenomenal match. Then we had a scramble match. The classic scramble matches. We had Chase Burnett versus DeShade versus Armani Kaios versus Jayla J versus Moondog Murray versus Aaron Rourke. And at the end of the day... Jayla J won via pinfall in the scramble. Yes, a solid scramble match. Next up was the one of the matches that everybody had their eyes on, and that, of course, was the incomparable Kid Bandit taking on the daddy of the daddies, Pero. And boy, was this match brutal and violent. Pero ended up winning via pinfall. Great showing from Kid Bandit, who almost got the job done, but... Kid Bandit was dropped from a gigantic power bomb onto four chairs that were facing each other uh, in a tremendous spot, thrown through doors and everything else. Kid Bandit got their ass whooped. Yep. Pero obviously showed up and showed out, and 
This was an absolutely brutal match, but it was great. Next up was a three-way match that we were all looking forward to as the Dark Sheik took on Ali Catch, took on Luana Loca, Taya Valkyrie. Coming into uh, this match, we were looking forward to it. This match did not disappoint. It wasn't the match of the weekend I thought it was going to be, but it still didn't disappoint. It's still a great match. At the end of the day, Dark Sheik gets the victory, which I was very surprised about. But Dark Sheik gets the victory. Still a good match out there, though. Very good match. I think, obviously, the expectations are super high. But we got to remember, Ali Catch was in World Games the night before. So, obviously, I think that played a little bit of a factor more so than anybody thought. Probably. And last but not least, the main event of the evening, Max the Impaler with Amy Rose in her in their corner, sorry, uh, defeated, or no, sorry, didn't defeat, took on Daddy himself, mm-hmm. Effie. At the end of the day, Effie won via pinfall, the, the slaying the monster is the Max the Impaler. How'd you feel about the match? Very solid match. At the end of the match, Effie spoke on the microphone, uh, praised Max the Impaler, and then gave this really passionate speech about how wrestling doesn't belong to anybody, and that uh, you know who you know we were watching wrestling for people who don't know that the people in the LGBTQ plus ex- uh, community exist, mm-hmm. and if they do, they don't understand how they truly are, and that's the importance of Effie's Big Gay Brunch, and he will continue to do that, and he will continue to make wrestling gay because that is his mission, yeah. and we applaud Effie on that. Mm-hmm. That will conclude. The second city, uh, second city uh, summit. summit bundle. How did you feel about the second city symbol as a whole? As a whole, great weekend of wrestling. Obviously, take the uh, settlement series one out because I mean that's just a, a fun event, and it's kind of got a different vibe than the rest of the weekend. But GCW put on an amazing product all throughout. Wool Games delivered and then some. Absolutely phenomenal match, but not one for the team of heart. And very exciting stuff coming out this weekend. Uh, next weekend, uh, GCW will be back on IWTV with the Settlement Series Part 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matches or anything has been announced yet because that's how they do that there. It's all mystery style. Yeah. Uh, also, and that'll be in the afternoon, also for free on the Game Changer Wrestling YouTube channel, Jersey Championship Wrestling mm-hmm. will be back. Also coming from New uh, uh, Boontown, New Jersey at the Alex Lodge. That's where the Settlement Series is coming from. This will be at nighttime. Once again, absolutely for free. You might want to check us out. We have matches listed already. It's called JCW Uncensored. And uh, we've got... Jungle uh, Corona versus Masha Slamovich. Okay. In a bull rope match, we have one called Manders versus Charles Mason. That's going to get a wild reaction. In a martial arts match, we have Speedball Mike Bailey versus Yoya. Okay. In a barbed wire death match, Mance Warner versus Slade. What? Yes. In a last woman standing match, Janai Kai versus Sawyer Wreck. Okay. The GCW, the GCW, the Game Changer Wrestling Extreme title will be on the line as the king of Wreck Ship Mountain, Cole Raderick, will defend that title against the Prize City OG, Alec Price. That's going to be a great match. And in the main event of the evening, I'm assuming, for the DDT Extreme Championship, your champion, the bad boy Joey Janela, will be going one-on-one with Beastman. Okay. So, if you're looking for a fix this upcoming Saturday... You can get your Game Changer Wrestling fix between independentwrestling.tv in the early afternoon for Settlement Series Part 3, and of course, later on that evening mm-hmm. for game, at Game Changer Wrestling's YouTube channel for absolutely free for Jersey Championship Wrestling. We only got one more thing to talk about here on the mid-card, Ken M, and of course, that is NXT Worlds Collide. That went down from the uh, 
Capital Wrestling Center in Orlando, Florida, this past Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right before All Out. So weird to say that name. It is. It is still weird to this day yeah. to say that name. Are you ready to talk about this? Absolutely. In the opening contest, WWE NXT North American title was on the line. Your champion, Carmelo Hayes, with Trick Williams taking on the one and only Ricochet. This match got 15 minutes and 57 seconds. And at the end of the day, and still, WWE North American champion, Carmelo Hayes. Absolutely perfect way to kick off this one. High energy all throughout. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of the best opening contests all weekend, and there were some good ones. Uh, next up was the WWE NXT Tag Team title, WWE NXT UK Tag Team title, Elimination Fatal 4-Way unifica Unification Match. Uh, your champions coming in, of course, the NXT UK Tag Team Champions, Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen, and the NXT Champions, Brutus Creed and Julius Creed, with uh, Damian Kemp in their corner. Of course, before the show, Roderick Strong got jumped. Mm -hmm. uh, also in this match was Gallus, made up of Mark Coffey and Wolfgang with Joe Coffey in their corner, and Pretty Deadly, Elton Prince and Kit Wilson with Last Legend in their corner. Uh, the first eliminated was Mark Coffey, was eliminated, eliminated Brooks Jensen, so the NXT tag, tag champs are out. Gallus mm -hmm. takes them out. The next, Julius Creed eliminated Wolfgang from Gallus to eliminate Gallus. And then, with 15 minutes and 15 minutes and 6 seconds, Elton Prince eliminated Julius Creed. So, Pretty Deadly is now your new unified NXT Tag Team Champions with a little bit of help from Damon, Damon Kemp, who turned on the Creed brothers. Interesting swerve that turned Kemp, but this one... You know what? No arguments here. Pretty Deadly has been doing some really cool stuff. And obviously with what's going on with the uh, destroyed, uh, trying to find the right word for it, the disappearing act that is NXT UK and transforming into NXT Europe, this was not too unexpected for me. Absolutely. Next up, we have the WWE NXT Women's and WWE NXT UK Women's title unification match. This was a triple threat match, one fall to a finish. Coming in, we had Mandy Rose, your NXT Women's Champion. Then we had uh, Miko Satomura, the NXT UK Women's mm -hmm. Champion. And of course, also coming in, Blair Davenport, formerly known as B Priestley. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, 13 minutes and 18 seconds, your new unified NXT Women's Champion is Mandy Rose, which got the internet kind of in a buzz, but I thought it was a great match and uh, definitely a testament to how great Mandy Rose has become. Mandy Rose has taken full advantage of her time back down in NXT. I think that if, if you want to talk about going back, really honing in on your craft, and then when you come back to the main roster, how much of a monster you're going to be, Mandy is going to be the definition of this. She has looked phenomenal. This match was great. Not upset about that win at all, even though... I would have been happy if it went a different way, but still, Mandy is doing great things down there, so a lot to be happy about. Well, next up was the WWE NXT Women's Tag Team uh, title match. Katana Chance and Caden Carter defending the belts against Dewdrop and Nikki Ash. The match got 10 minutes and 20 seconds, and still NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. I'm not a huge fan of uh, that team. It was a decent match, but it was nothing to write home about. Was what it was. Last but certainly not least in the main event of the evening, we had one more unification match for the WWE NXT title and the WWE NXT United Kingdom title. Your NXT champion, Braun Breaker, going against your NXT UK champion, Tyler Bate. This match got 17 minutes and 11 seconds at the end of the day. And new unified NXT champion, Braun Breaker. Phenomenal match. Would have been happy either way. Like, did not have anybody I was clearly favoring for this one, but... Braun Breaker is definitely making some noise right now, and 
kind of wait to see who's next on his lineup there. I can't wait. I think it was a good show overall. Uh, very good things happened. We got some unifications. We got some answers. Hey, at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. Facts. Well, that's going to do it for the mid-card on this show. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, it'll be time for the main event of 607 TWS. And we are going to be talking wrestling news. More specifically, we are going to talk about all the craziness that went down at the AEW All Out Scrum. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk a little bit of Triple H on Ariel Hawani. With that being said, that's all coming to you right after this final break. Time for the main event of this week's edition of 607 Podcast presents The Wrestling Show, better known as hashtag 607TWS. And it is now time to talk some news. And who would have thought, Ken M, that before, you know, late night, well, actually technically early morning Monday, uh, the biggest news would be coming out of the AEW media scrum. I mean, there's usually something that comes out, but nothing that's like such earth-shattering that makes you forget. Some people have even joked that it was the second best event of the weekend. And rightfully so. I can see that argument, to be honest with you. Even over All Out, <laughs> which is kind of intriguing. But with that being said, we coming into this week, we we're like, oh, we have the Triple H Ariel Hawani. There was a big mess, you know. There was a little controversy there. We we're gonna we we're gonna talk about, mm-hmm. and then uh, some other things which we will talk about. And we're we, we, we just didn't even think that the scrum was going to be... We knew there would be something worth talking about, but we didn't think it was going to be, you know, this huge thing. We thought we could probably just tag it on to the all-out coverage, right? Right. Which we did with some of it. We talked about a little bit of Swerve and, and uh, Keith Lee. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about Tony Storm in the scrum. We talked, you know, a little bit about everything. But that wasn't the big thing that went down. Right. The big thing that went down took place right away <laughs> when the scrum started. So the way the scrum starts... Um, is really weird because they opened up and CM Punk is suited, which is fine. He's a champion. He should be. Right. And he's got his his seltzer waters, I'm assuming, is what they were because they or flavored waters because it was definitely lime. Right. And he's got, uh, he's by the way, he's eating from Mindy's the whole time. Yep. Shout out to Mindy's, I guess, which kind of was weird. But okay, I get it. He's probably hungry. Mm-hmm. So here we are, we're sitting here, and where we open up wasn't like the normal, oh, question or whatever. It kind of opens up where CM Punk is having a side chat with a reporter. Yes. That we cannot see. I do believe his name was Nathan. Because 
the conversation goes on, and I think they were kind of originally talking about uh, what we would learn about later on with CM Punk's dog Larry running into the the the, the, the venue mm-hmm. and getting a huge pop from the crowd. But he turns and he says, all of a sudden, before we even get this started, Punk says to Nathan, "Hey, are you friends with Colt Cabana?" Yeah. And Nathan kind of, you couldn't hear his response fully, but I'm assuming his response was, no, not really. I don't, you know, whatever, whatever. So Punk Punk then jumps in and starts exactly this. I'm reading quote. This, these are quotes. I'm going to read it all off. I'd love to play it, but unfortunately because of the... Uh, uh, DMC there. <laughs> the, well, not in just the DMC. I would. I didn't even give a shit about that. But we don't have any power, so I can't hook up oh, at the board or do any of that stuff. So I apologize. So you're just gonna have to deal with my reading. CM Punk goes. I haven't had anything to do with Scott Colton for almost a decade. Probably wanted nothing to do with him even longer than that. It's fucking unfortunate that I have to come up here and speak on this when I'm on my time and this is a fucking business. Why am I? Why am I a grown ass adult man and I decide not to be friends with somebody is nobody else's fucking business. But my friends, if I fall backwards, will catch me. Scott Colton, I felt never would have. Uh, he goes on to ask Nate his question. Now, mind you, we're going to jump around. I'm just going to read Punk's quotes. Sure. These are all in between different fucking questions, so we're not going to give shout-outs. But he goes on to answer a question, and then it comes back to this at some point. So, remind you, I'm just – if every paragraph I read, there's other questions where he's adding everything in. Yes. So, the next part goes, my problem was I wanted to bring a guy with me to the top and did not want to see me – that did not want to see me at the top, Okay. You can call it jealousy. You can call it envy. Whatever the fuck it is, my relationship with Scott Colton ended long before I paid all of his bills. I have every receipt. I have every invoice. I have every email. I have emails where he says, I agree to go our separate ways. I will get my own lawyer and you do not have to pay more. Pay anymore, sorry. That's an email that I have. And the only reason the public did not see is because when I finally had to countersue him, through discovery, we discovered he shared a bank account with his mother. That's a fact. As soon as we discovered that fact and we subpoenaed old Marsha, he sent the email, oh, can we please drop all of this? He would continue on by saying, now it's 2022. I haven't been friends with this guy since at least 2014, late 2013. The fact that I have to sit up here because we have irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs and couldn't fucking manage a target and they spread lies and bullshit and put into the media that I got somebody fired when I have fuck all to do with him, want nothing to do with him, do not care where he works, where he doesn't work, where he eats, where he sleeps. The fact that I have to get up here and do this in 2022 is fucking embarrassing and if y'all are at fault, fuck you. If you're not, I apologize. Continuing on, mind you, these are in between questions. Right. What did I ever do in this world to deserve an empty-headed fucking dumb fuck like Hangman Adam Page to go out on national television and fucking go into business for himself? For what? What did I ever do? Didn't do a goddamn thing. And Tony Khan at this point goes, well, it's my fault. I should have never answered that question. Uh, Speaking of somebody's question to him previous, which I think was that Nathan guy's. Yeah, it might have been. Because he said that. He said, I wish I never would have asked her to answer that question. So then... Punk's retort was, it's not, speaking to Tony Khan's position, to make it very fucking clear. There's people who call themselves EVPs that should have fucking known better. This shit was none of their business. I understand sticking up for your fucking friends. I fucking get it. I stuck up for that guy more than anybody, okay? I paid his bills until I didn't, and it was my decision not to. He would go on to say, 
I'm trying to run a fucking business, and when somebody who hasn't done a damn thing in this business jeopardizes the first million dollar house that this company has ever drawn off my back and goes on national television and does that, it's a disgrace to this industry. It's a disgrace to this company. We're far beyond apologies. I gave him a fucking chance. It did not get handled, and you saw what I had to do, which is very regrettable, lowering myself to his fucking level. But that's where we're at right now, and I will still walk up and down this hallway and say, if you have a fucking problem with me, Take it up with me. Let's fucking go. Uh, added on here, which I don't have on this article, he would then go on to say, uh, you know, maybe you guys should do better business. This isn't fucking Reseda. Mm-hmm. Direct shot at the Young Bucks. Yep. And uh, yeah, some other expletives filled. So every time it came to a question, whether the question is like, how do you feel about MJF? Or how did you feel about your performance? For some reason, he thought that he had to just continue drumming this beat and going after Colt Cabana, Mm. which that's who Scott Colton is for anybody who doesn't know. Right. Uh, Hangman Adam Page, the Young Bucks. I don't know if Kenny Omega was really involved, but when you involve the Young Bucks, you instantly involve Kenny Omega. Right. We know he was taking shots at the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, and Colt Cabana. Once again, ironically enough, at some point during this, that's why I wish I had the uh, could have played the audio. At some time during this, he talks about how uh, the meeting in the back and people airing out, you know, their their dirty laundry and throwing people under the bus and shit. And I'm like, isn't that what you're doing right now? Aren't you going into business for yourself and throwing people under the bus right now instead of in the back? He also made a reference at one point while he was eating that uh, he has to come back and deal with fucking children. Yeah. He's like, I'm old. I'm too old. I'm old. I'm tired. And I got to deal with fucking children. You know, this whole situation to me reads like this. I think he got out of that main event. Heard the crowd get behind MJF, and that ego could not handle it for whatever reason. Because the fact that you open up that scrum, you immediately start going in on Cabana, which I thought was an over-and-done issue. But due to that reaction, the way I perceive it, it's far from done. It's far from over. And having to explain everything involving it felt odd. Tony Khan sitting next to him while this was going on looked odd. And his reactions, in my opinion, looked very odd. I mean, especially they brought back about the reference about the Eddie Kingston uh, joke line. about uh, Second best Kingston. I thought that was a great line. Yeah, it's a great line. And then they were kind of like sitting there trying to justify it a bit. But then he went right after Hangman Page, claiming he went into business for himself, to paraphrase. And then went right at the Bucks. And this was just feeding into the rumors that we've all known and heard that there's everything under the house of AEW is not solid right now. There are cracks forming, and now it looks that whole foundation is ready to come crashing down. Yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I, I just don't get it. And this is just Punk's, you know, evil, jealous, ugly head sticking back up. Mm-hmm. We've seen this in the past. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things going around the internet currently. One of the things going on around the internet that I find hysterical and is funny was an old clip from a talk is Jericho yep. with Cody Rhodes from the uh, first AEW uh, version of the Jericho cruise mm-hmm. where they're talking about uh, when CM Punk, this is before CM Punk was in the AEW, yeah. talking about how CM Punk used to think he was the locker room leader and he would talk about himself as a locker room leader and they, they were recalling a story where he was talking about uh, picking up garbage like and as your locker room leader we should be picking up and cleaning the locker room and a lot of the boys were like who the fuck's, who made you the leader? Yeah. And to the point that Booker T, I guess, threw all of his garbage on the floor and was like, you ain't my fucking leader. 
Hmm. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. And I just thought that was interesting that they were joking about this in 2018. Yeah. At the beginning of AEW, before Punk was ever there. Mm. And fast forward where we are today, and it's like, that sounds like it is. He keeps saying about how he's bringing in the money, and he's bringing in the draw, and he's bringing in whatever. Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. I'm the one responsible for these million-dollar houses, which, you know, arguably, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I, I don't know, because here's the thing. We, we talked about it when we were talking about the Inconvenient Truce. They were averaging over a million for a while before Punk. Yep. And it seems like after Punk, there's been the decline. Regardless of what the accountant from Buffalo or anybody else of the uh, the AEW ass-kissers want to tell you, uh, it's just not facts. We went over the numbers. The numbers don't lie. You know, it's like Miss Cleo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, Miss Cleo did lie, but, you know, the old commercial. Right, right. But the, the whole point of the matter is I don't get how we get to where we are today. Uh, like I said, I do understand Punk, and he's always been kind of a, a prick, mm. according to sources. Right. Uh, by the way, sources, anybody who's ever worked with him. I mean, we got to remember, this is the guy who's no longer friends with uh, Kofi Kingston, who they were like best buds, and Dolph Ziggler and this such, uh, because his stance was, if you still work for WWE, I don't want to be friends with you. Yeah. After he got fired. And that's a real shitty reason to... You know, get rid of friends, mm-hmm. especially because when he got fired from WWE, there was no other, you know, real ball game in town for right. any of these guys to go to and feed their families and ply their trade. So, I mean, it's just a real shitty me, 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 me take. And it, that's what it felt like sitting there is this me, me, me. And then when he was asked about MJF, he was like, oh, I got to deal with that prick, too. Yeah. Like, oh, OK, so you don't like him either. You know, it, it just got to the point of like, who do you like? The FTR? I guess that's it. Well, and then that's this whole situation you're seeing coming out of this is like that ego that we've all been waiting to show up. Has finally came there because I think, in my opinion, he got up staged, straight up, and he could not handle it. Like, this was supposed to be the crowning achievement. One year after he debuts in Chicago, the, he comes home like Caesar returning to Rome, wins the match. It should be that should be the talk about the talking point. That should be the only thing we're all ta- saying. But now MJF returns, Chicago turns on him in his mind. They start cheering for him. He can't handle it. So now it's like, let me get the attention back to me. I want to be the one that everybody's talking about today. Oh, I can I can agree completely. I think that even before that, I think where these cracks in the foundation started was Moxley, you know, is one of the mm-hmm. locker room leaders. He's one of the people the guys look up to. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's the anti-punk. Yeah. You know, he's not there for his own ego and, and everything else. And he was over. And him being champion was over. And it was kind of one of those interesting spots where he came back he's like well what do i need to do this is bullshit you know what i mean and obviously i i'm sure that things weighed on his mind i'm sure hangman page you know mostly a throwaway line about you know ask him how he treats his friends you know ask colt cabana yeah a throwaway fucking line in a promo months ago Mm. i want to point this out months ago that was the build to him and hangman pages fight and and, uh, double or nothing right so that's months ago that throwaway line is what affects him to this day. There's part of me that thinks that that's bullshit. There's there's part of me that says that that I think personally that he can't handle the fact that other people are ahead of him. He can't handle the fact that uh, coming into that build, Hangman Page had a great promo. Not that one, but the promo where they were face to face, where he said that I just need to stop the idea of you. Mm-hmm. And he can't face the fact that there's a lot of people who believe that in the back. That he doesn't walk around like the conquering hero. I mean, I I have to apologize. When we did the coverage a couple weeks ago, I said something about people. He said people suck that don't like him. He didn't say that. He said there were nobodies. Yeah. 
He said, nobody doesn't like me in the back because if you don't like me, you're nobody. Yeah. Obviously, we know there's quite a bit of people. Obviously, we can add the Young Bucks to this fucking list now, mm-hmm. right? Who are executive vice presidents of this company and, and so many more. It's, it's a wild, wild thing. I just don't get it. I don't get what's going on. I don't get why this is a thing other than the fact that Punk's ego has got to be fed. Well, that's all problem. That he and I think he's surrounded by the biggest yes man there is in Tony Khan. Well, Tony Khan just doesn't know how to stop him. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. But you're just letting him run wild and letting him do whatever you want. And you went all in on him, pun intended, to be the savior of your company. Well, guess what? You reap what you sow. Well, unfortunately, you already had the guys. Yeah. You had the guys that people were more interested, but you wanted it now. You didn't want to wait. And yep. you bought some you bought some carny line that was sold to you by Punk. You know, whether you believe the Boxley line or not, the, mm. you know, you're back because you're broke. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, it's a funny line. It's a great line. Uh, I thought it was interesting that when he did talk about Moxley, uh, Punk says, well, I helped elevate Moxley. He was like, well, you know, he helped me too. And, but it was a side thing, you know, that it was mutual. I don't think that it's it's – he thinks that he's bigger than Moxley. I don't think he is. I think he's at least on the same scale. Moxley's on his level easy, mm. being the fact that he's well-respected. He's a great wrestler. He came from WWE where he was a WWE champion. Yes, there's a lot of parallels that they had. They both got staff infections, as you mentioned. Yeah. And there's another parallel with the fact that uh, they were never the main event even when they were champions. That's fine. Mm. That, that, that's fine. You can make those parallels. But at the same point in juncture, the difference is John Moxley's well-respected by everybody and CM Punk is not. Right. So the fact that you're trying to put yourself on the same level as John Moxley is a little fucking ridiculous as well. And that's just my personal take on it. Obviously, if you're a CM Punk lover, you're going to defend everything that CM Punk does. I just don't find myself there. And I find myself less and less of a fan. And then all of this happening was crazy. And it gets worse. Yeah. Because after he leaves the conference, after he leaves the scrum... Uh, we're hearing that there was an altercation between him and the Young Bucks. Mm. Uh, this is reported by uh, Steve Muehlhausen, uh Jr., who works for Dazen. So yeah. no reason for him to lie. Right. This is a real reported site. This isn't just for wrestling. It's obviously a fighting publication. It says, sources, there was an altercation between CM Punk and the Young Bucks early Monday. The Bucks confronted Punk about his comments at the scrum. It did get physical with Punk throwing punches at least at least one member of the Bucks. A number intervened to separate everyone. More to come. And so somebody goes, okay, so maybe this isn't a work. And if that's the case, wow, bad on many levels. Steve then said in that quote, quote tweeted that it said, not even close to being a work. So that is the one thing that keeps going on. And this is something that drives me nuts about wrestling fans. We've said this before. Is that a lot of terms get thrown around and work's one of them. And especially in AEW, if something's happening there that people don't like. Right. Or, or you know, don't want to accept, it's a work. Oh, it's all work. The whole thing with, with uh, MJF is a work. Mm. I'm sure that there's work elements in there. But Tony Khan kind of tipped his hand even in the scrum by saying, well, sometimes things are shoot and real. And the best things sometimes come from things that are real. That's his exact explanation. Mm-hmm. So what we try to do is we try to work with that. At the end of the day, we're all professionals, and we try to come in with some realism into the things. And I think that makes really good wrestling. And I agree with him to an extent, but when you have this much cracks in the, in the, in, in the back, this is not just, oh, a well, work. Like, obviously, cooler heads can prevail. We can take the shoot thing, and we can have the elite versus FTR and punk, and people can go, see, it was all a work. Well, it wasn't all a work. This is, you know, I, I heard a wise man uh, say a long time ago that everything in wrestling is a work because even a shoot can make you money if handled right. Right. And this is what it is. This is a shoot. 
that could become a work. However, it's not going to be a complete work because these guys aren't going to like each other. Perfect example is we know that Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega are not fans of one another, but we saw them work a match. Mm-hmm. Last week, right? Am yep. I wrong? No, correct. They, they worked a match. It was a great match. But then both of them went on to take shots at the other one. Yeah. So, like, they don't personally like each other. They put business aside. You know, they put shit aside for business. Went out there, had a banger of a match, and then turned around and went back to not liking each other. That is perfectly fine. That's happened over the years numerous times. Mm. We know Triple H and Chris Jericho aren't fans of each other. Right. And they've worked together how many times? Exactly. So, you can't tell me that, you know, this doesn't happen. This happens all the time facts so don't be like oh this is a work it is not there's cracks in the foundation bobby fish whose contract is now up has done nothing but talk about how everything in the back is fucked there yeah everything every you know there's different factions and cliques different people don't like each other it's not cohesive it's not a team and on top of that you have a guy running it that's not even putting people on television or giving them spots Mm -hmm. all these guys are held hostage under contract yeah you know, when WWE was holding people hostage, which they were, under contract, mm-hmm. UI and everybody else complained. Now everybody's like, well, nope, that's fine. It's their, his legal right. And, I, and I'll give it that. I've said that to the beginning. Oh, sure. You like, signed a piece of paper. It's your legal right. But at the same point in juncture, where does it become that this, this company is doing the same thing that this company did? If Malachi Black wants out, and that's the report, and nobody denied that report. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only difference in the reporting is some people said he wanted out to go back to WWE, right. and other people said that he just wanted out because he's having some mental problems. Mm-hmm. Either way, we know for sure he asked for his release and was denied. Now, with what happened at the end and, and Tony Khan not commenting on it, I don't know what that means. Right. Maybe he's just going to go home and relax for a while, whatever, take a break, come back, whatever, because we know he has a contract through 2027. Mm-hmm. But either way, you're not letting him go from that contract. Let's say that it really was mental health related and he just doesn't want to do this shit anymore. Yeah. What your fear is, but I get it, Tony Khan's business fear is that he goes home for six months, gets his mental shit in order, and then signs back with, with Triple H, because why wouldn't he? Well, that's the whole thing. That's the problem that you've now created, and now that it's coming to the public light, and if anyone was trying to say it wasn't happening, it's like that one meme where the dog's sitting in the room and everything's on fire and it's everything is fine. That's what AEW's turning into because you're seeing now your star franchise guy coming out there taking shots at your EVPs and all the ones that everybody has been solely behind since day one. You're now seeing this. You're now hearing about wrestlers who have left the company saying that, hey, there are bigger problems than anybody's trying to spin. And yet, nobody's offering any solutions on how to fix these. Oh, no. Because, first of all, I don't think that Tony Khan understands how to fix them. Right. And secondly, there's no real leadership because there's just a bunch of different cliques. Mm-hmm. So, it's just like uh, what it's believed to be is just like when in WWE, just like that comment from Jericho. It's believed that CM Punk has his group of guys. Yeah. And those guys think that Punk is God and blah, 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 blah. And so they're defending him, and then there's other fucking factions and cliques. Mm-hmm. And so that just is, doesn't work together that way. That's not how things work. Yeah. You can't be, you can't run a business that way. And some people are like, well, you know, the clique did it back in the day to an extent. Apples and oranges. But then, then again, also you're dealing with the clique when they did it in WWE, mm-hmm. you still had Vince in control. The clique does it in WCW, and the, it goes out of business. Yeah. So... There's, there's a give and take there. It doesn't add up no matter how you want to try spinning it. And that's the problem that a lot of fans don't want to see because I think last night was the true picture of what AEW is. And it's chaotic. That's the easiest way you can describe it. Yeah, I, I just don't I don't get what is going on overall uh, there because I think that the, you're, you're, you're pissing away. The golden goose who's now pissing away the golden eggs. Absolutely. And it's just a really fucking weird situation you find yourself in. you got a champion... That doesn't want to work, I yeah. guess. You got a champion who's 
talking about being around children and how this person's a prick and they don't appreciate it. I mean, he took a shot at one point juncture also against Hangman Page because mm-hmm. Hangman Page and I give him credit. Hangman Page shouldn't have said this out loud to anybody saying that. Hey, I don't, I don't really worry about going to get information from people because I don't care. Yeah. And he, but he made that we all know who he was shot at because we remember when that happened. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I, 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 I like Punk agrees that you should be going to those veterans and picking their brains. But once again, yeah, you know. When you're in a work environment, take care of this behind closed doors, yeah, why not at a media scrum. Yeah, why is it airing out to the public? Because now everybody is running with this. Well, I mean, on one level, I can understand why fans and certain people would think it was a work because, you know, it got them to talk about AEW. But this problem is, is they got them to talk about AEW for all the wrong mm-hmm. reasons. Facts. Meanwhile, tonight, WWE is just going to come out uh, on Monday Night Raw because, as you know, we record on Monday. Or, well, we usually record on Sundays, but lately we've been recording on Mondays early on, so it's pre-Raw, mm-hmm. and they're going to come out tonight and either there's going to, we're, we're, we're hearing rumors of return of Braun Strowman, mm-hmm. there's rumors that this might be the week that Sasha and Naomi come back, and there's even rumors out there for Bray Wyatt. Yep. So now you have these um, major returns, and it'll swing back to WWE being talked about if one or all three of those, or four technically, of those happen. Mm-hmm. That's going to swing back to WWE for the right reasons. Yep. You know, what we should have been focusing on after All Out was the fact that MJF is back. Mm -hmm. There's now a storyline built, and it looks like a decent storyline going forward for that main event title picture between Punk and MJF. But instead, we're talking about CM Punk throwing a fucking bitch fit. At a scrum, and then the internet pissing, you know, between if you're an, if you're an AEW uh, loyalist, or if you're a common, or, or if you're just like a casual fan or a WWE guy or whatever, or you know, the AEW loyalist, oh, it's a work. Don't worry, they're working. You see what they did? They worked you. And and the proof of that is going to be eventually if we have some kind of match between the elite and FTR and Punk, they'll be like, oh, see, look, it was all a build. No, it wasn't. No. The cracks in the foundation are there, and we're being told that all the time, and you have to accept that as a fan. Mm-hmm. Could, does that mean that there won't be a match? No, there could be a match. Maybe they'll put shit decide to do business. But right now, there ain't going to be. No, not for foreseeable future and by here, any means. Here's my thing. How do the Bucks respond? BTE gets filmed. Yeah. So do the Bucks take a shot, or do, they, or do they do what they did last time and make a joke about it in the Hangman Page thing? I think this time they don't make a joke. I think there's a good possibility that BTE this week or next week could be must-watch fucking TV because they might come back at Punk. What do you think the odds are that they actually taped that fight that allegedly happened at the, after the scrum? Well, Cutler tapes everything, so possibly. Yeah. I'm saying that footage is probably out there, and if they want to really generate some buzz off this, put it out to the world. I mean, it's not like it's not getting reported on. You know, honestly, if I'm them and it's that bad, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be opposed to just sitting in front of a thing and saying, "Here, you guys want to shoot? We'll fucking shoot on CM Punk." Yeah, and just shoot on CM Punk. And be like, this is who this guy is. And you guys can think it's a work. You can think of it's whatever it is. But this is what it fucking is. Mm-hmm. Fuck him. Fuck him for calling us out for bullshit. You can go suck my ass. Yeah. I Honestly, like this is not needed. And here we are. And later on, we had Jericho out of character. Just being Chris Jericho. Yeah. And he made a reference to the locker room. And said things have to be taken care of. And he'll he's going to be getting on that. So my thing is maybe Chris Jericho left and just got in punk shit because we all know how Jericho is. Yep. So I don't know. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe they need Chris Jericho to fucking just go and lay the smack down on somebody. And I'm not saying f- physical violence. I'm no, talking about going in and, and laying down the law because Jericho is the most respected guy there. That's the thing. He is the one that is the most respected because you know Eddie Kingston 
I would say it would be Eddie, but Eddie's too personally involved with this, so I, you can't have him in there. I think you got to get Chris in there because obviously he's somebody that is well-recognized. He's somebody that obviously everybody respects. He's the one that's got to do it, and somebody really has to take control of that locker room because now it's going to spill out, and especially what I'm fearing is between now as we're recording Monday night and 8 p.m. Wednesday, more stuff is going to get leaked. More stuff is going to get put in, into a negative light. This is where AEW really needs to lock everybody in ASAP and say, hey, let's fix this because guess what? When Monday Night Raw has another great show, what are you going to do to kind of spin the momentum back your way? Because what you should be celebrating is you had a great pay-per-view. MJF is back. The The buzz was there, but now it's negative, and you don't have a sign of flipping it back to the positive. Agreed. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of just crazy stuff that they just need to get, you know, they need to get their house in order. Yeah. And that's the easiest way to put it. There's no way you can tell me that house is in order, that house is out of order, and they need to get that house in order. Mm-hmm. Period. Period. End of story. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, there's the only, well, also I want to do say this about Jericho. Jericho did mention that he said, the only thing he said at the media thing was to not talk to outside people and keep everything in house and keep mm-hmm. everything in the back. He goes, obviously, you see how that worked, you know? Yeah. So Jericho's a little irritated. Uh, the other newsworthy thing out of the scrum was Tony Khan. Mm-hmm. So Tony Khan, not only did he have to sit there with like a deer in the headlights with Punk going off in a tirade, uh, not only did he have to worry because then the Young Bucks in uh, Omega did not come out, which they were scheduled to be on the right. scrum. Uh, but then he, he answered questions at the end. Of course, the most interesting one came from our good friend, the accountant from Buffalo, mm-hmm. asking him about the buy rates yep. already because digital, you can get them early. And obviously the buy rates for All Out were not what Tony Khan expected Mm -hmm. because his answer was very telling of which instead of saying, Hey, you know, it's decent. We're going to let the things play out. I think we're going to have, you know, you know, another good showing. He said, no, no, it was good, but it wasn't record like last year. And it was more in line with double or nothing. So, so that means people are estimated 155,000 because that's what double or nothing did. Mm. But he then added the tagline. Well, you know, also this was the first time that we had to go up against things going on. Our, 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 com- our competitor ran two shows. We were, we were the only show on Labor Day, and now we were the third show on Labor Day. And so we were competing against that and obviously the market share. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm happy for where we were, but, you know, that kind of affected it. And I'm like, and then he would continue on, of course, to very poignantly say that I guess I should have watched my words because I, I compared myself to Jim Crockett Promotions uh, a couple weeks ago, and then they came after me. But I can tell you this, I have more money than Jim Crockett Promotions. I have more money than, than, than anybody, and I will fight. I'm not going to sit here and take it. Yeah. And he got very angry. And I, I thought to myself, I said, well, here's the problem. You've called them competition. You've taken shot. He was like, oh, I've been very uh, – why, why did you make the comment about them not you – know, oh, well, they don't reciprocate. I'm very nice to them and their product, and they don't reciprocate. Come on, man. You call yourself competition. You're not very nice about shit. Yeah, occasionally now you're eating your words because you're fucking nervous. But the problem of the matter is, is you got yourself in this position. You wanted to be competition. You wanted to poke the bear. You wanted to have your athletes poke the bear. And the problem is, is it was fine when it was Vince because Vince thought of you as a tick on his nuts. Although it was Vince's schedule that put Clash of the Castle on the same weekend. Yeah. Maybe not Worlds Collide, because I don't know if that was on the docket already or not, because that seems like it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I think that came impromptu. But we know that they they cordoned that off. That was Vince's regime. However, that's not saying Triple H isn't going to do it again. And here's the other problem that I have with this. This is false bullshit narrative from Tony Khan to explain why the pay-per-view didn't sell. Could it be because 
listen, we're on the internet. We hear people. And once again, if you have a different opinion out there, that's fine. We, we love all opinions. But the opinions that we heard from our friends and from the people we talked to were that A, they weren't ordering because it was too long. Mm-hmm. B, they weren't ordering because the price point did not match what they thought they were getting, their perceived value. Exactly. A lot of people were driven away by the squash match that didn't have the same match again. That was something that was brought mm-hmm. up. And the last reason, the third reason we were mostly told about why people weren't ordering was because outside of like six matches, this not my words, yeah. Obviously, you know, we put it over. Yep. But they were like, outside of six matches, there's nearly no story for the other nine matches on the card. So it just seems like shit that was thrown together for the sake of throwing it together. I, once again, their opinions are valid. Everybody's mm-hmm. opinion is valid because it's art. It's subjective. Yeah. It's a business. It's subjective. So the real problems from what I saw was the length of the card and the lack of stories in the card. That was basically the two reasons, the two biggest reasons they came up. Nowhere in there was because of WWE. Mm. The other problem, and this is where you really can't weasel out before I turn it over to you for your thoughts. The other problem is this. WWE is on the Peacock. It's $4.99 a month or $9.99 a month, depending upon which package you have. Mm-hmm. And you get all their events. Right? Yep. That, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And once again, we've said this before. I'm not saying to do it because I don't do it. But there's even people who if you just change your email all the time, you can get them for free. Yeah. Right? It's out there. Not saying I'm doing it not, and I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying you technically don't have to pay a single dollar for anything. Right? So anyways, how does that affect a pay-per-view? WWE's not selling pay-per-views anymore. They're premium live events that if you pay $4.99 to the Peacock, you get to watch for that $4.99 or $9.99 respectively. Mm-hmm. So that means that, yes, Clash of the Castle was on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, yes, Worlds Collide was on Sunday before. Not complete. They didn't put Worlds Collide right against. As a matter of fact, Worlds Collide was over in plenty of time for you to watch and enjoy All Elite Wrestling. Probably done on purpose. Yeah. Just so that way they didn't have to divide their marketing there. Here's the cool part about it. How does that list you? It's not like, hey, WWE said choose one or the other. It's not like WWE said Clash of the Castle on pay-per-view $50. So then it would be Clash of the Castle on Saturday for $50 or AEW on Sunday for $50. And you had to decide if you didn't have a lot of money, which your $50 was going to go to, right? Right. That didn't happen. Same with Worlds Collide. They were included in a $4.99 price point. So the price point of a pay-per-view, the decision to buy a pay-per-view based upon finances is not affected by World Wrestling Entertainment. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the whole problem that you, Tony's got. I mean, to get asked that question, you're trying to spin the narrative to your fan base. But I'm sorry, you have nothing to spin. The problem that you had with this pay-per-view and why it didn't generate buzz is you were adding matches as of the week of. There was no storyline build to really sell us. And the biggest problem that you did was your own doing. You put Punk and Moxley on free TV. And everybody saw your savior get squashed in 3 minutes and 11 seconds. Why would they want to see, uh, for 50 bucks a rematch of that? Because they still gave a pep talk? Sorry. That killed any momentum for your show. And you might not like hearing it, but it's the truth. You've been so caught up about trying to do a couple storylines here and there that to put together a card that big... And sure, you want to say, well, I want to give people their money's worth. There's a fine line between quality and quantity, and you just have to learn how to read between the numbers to figure that out. This was a situation that there was a lot being asked for the fans to do. And especially your fan base is the ones that shell in and shell out. They're the ones screaming on social media, hashtag, I'm with AEW. How many of them are really buying the pay-per-views? And how many of them are just 
there for the ride? That's the question you have to ask because if you are plateauing around the same buy rates each and every month now when you're doing them between your big four, this is a situation that you're, you're, you've now plateaued. There's no growth. How are you planning on surviving when, on the flip side, WWE continues to grow and is continuing to get better with the Triple H regime? This is the situation you have, and you can't say, well, you know, they ran three events, I only had one. Your brand should stand out. It's supposed to be all elite, right? Allegedly, you're killing it in all the demos, according to you know certain people's numbers. If that's the case, and this should have been a no-brainer slam dunk, well, why is it not? And the sad thing is, it's not perception is not reality here. The numbers don't add up. They're not translating into dollars in comparison. So now what you should be doing, but you have already a lot of fires to put out, you have one big one on your hands, and why going into a full gear should we be investing $50 into watching that in comparison? Like, why aren't you not taking notes about what worked and what didn't with this pay-per-view? You stacked it going into Friday night. That's when you added an, another show, another match to the pre-show. Oh, and, yeah. And what did it get you? That's the problem. You can't say, okay, we're going to just put eight matches on this card and let it be. And guess what? Some people aren't going to wrestle on the card. If you're that serious about it, why don't you just do a two-hour rampage, one hour on YouTube, the other on TNT, showcase your talent there. You're allegedly going live with Rampage the Friday night before Full Gear. That's what you should do. Make one hour on YouTube, really drive your channel, do some crazy gimmick for that. Get people to watch and then come back for Rampage and do something there. That is what you should be doing, but instead you're just running in circles. So how many times are you gonna do that before you fall down by being dizzy? I don't know. It's a strange, strange world. I just think it's funny that that was his excuse. Uh, honestly, I just think it was a reason to cover up that they didn't have the buys that they thought they were going to have. And there's a lot of different things that you should have looked into. The free TV thing, I think, is the biggest one. Yeah. The amount of matches, the amount of time. I think that that all plays in more. But once again, it's 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 common for a man who my take is even turned his microphone's bass up just so that way he didn't have a squeaky voice. And I say that because... The microphones were definitely tampered with Something to funny. make them sound deeper. Yeah. CM Punk sounded like Triple H. Mm-hmm. Tony Khan sounded like he had a deep voice and he doesn't. Uh, even even the the female reporters sounded like they had, a, and Tony Storm sounded like they had deep voices. It was interesting to, to see that there was an effect on the microphones. And I, I, I'm going to take the victory lap and think it's because I uh, tend to do the, I tend to do the Tony Khan voice on the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, who knows? Maybe it wasn't me. That's fine. I don't care. Once again, I don't need it to be me. I'm not CM Punk. But, uh, you know, (laughs) if he cares that much about that and not about his actual product and doing the real work behind it, I don't know what the fuck to tell him. And I think that that was just a cop-out. But let's get off the AEW scrum. We'll talk about one thing real quick. And, of course, that was uh, Triple H sat down with Erewhani for a wonderful interview. If you guys didn't hear the whole interview, you should probably check the whole interview out. It was very wonderful. A lot of cool things. I know that there was some haters on the internet that were like, well, he didn't ask him these questions, that question. I thought he did a great job asking questions. Erewhani is a very good interviewer. He did a good job. Well, he should have pressed him on this. Well, how much does he really truly know about wrestling? And how? why would he be pressed? Mm Because there's no reason to press him. He basically, you know, some of the highlights of the interview on the the, he said when Vince 
talked to him. Vince told him that he had to have his direction. Had to be Triple H's, not his. Yeah. So do your direction. Even if I'm not happy with it, doesn't matter. You're the you're the head now. That's what you have to do. And I thought that was interesting. And he went on to talk about some of his philosophies. But of course, the one that got the most press is he mentioned the competition, kind of not by name. Yeah. He just said when it was brought up that he said they said you know they say they won this Wednesday night war. Well, they beat our developmental. So, you know, there you go. They can have that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, people went, well, when he was down in NXT, he was saying that wasn't developmental. He's now changed the story. Oh, what is it? Obviously, you know, he's, he's capping people and, uh, you know, this is bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a way for both. When he was running NXT, I'm sure he felt and wanted it to be a third brand. But we listen, even the people on the internet who are making these claims now called it developmental. Mm-hmm. They always talk shit about it as developmental. So don't change your story now. Right. And it has been developmental. It was developmental from the jump. It was born from FCW. Mm-hmm. It was their next thing. And it was a way to develop guys to bring to the main roster. Now, Vince dropped the ball. Vince, instead of just bringing those guys to the main roster, he would change them and tweak their shit. So it defeated the purpose of NXT. It had for a while. Now, with Triple H in charge, it looks like we're going to get one vision again. Maybe. Yeah. And if that's the case, okay, we're going to get back to what that company was supposed to be. You remember the early guys, though, they kept their gimmicks. You know, obviously Seth Rollins, Dean mm-hmm. Ambrose. Uh, Roman Reigns, they worked on things. Then they became the Shield. Bray Wyatt started the Wyatt family there. Him and the Wyatt family came out of NXT. They kept that gimmick on TV. Kevin Owens kept his gimmick coming up. Sami Zayn kept his gimmick coming up. The the first person that really lost their gimmick, but not really, they just lost the name, was Pac because they dropped his name. Yeah. But then after that, yes, we, you know, towards, you know, years in, we would get completely different things. That's how we end up with Gladiator, Karrion Cross, Butch. Gladiator, Keith Lee, Butch, mm-hmm. and, and et cetera. So obviously that did change somewhere around the way, but that was a Vince McMahon decision. Right. The original idea for that was to give people seasoning, put them in front of a camera, and possibly get them seen by some of the universe on the network or later on in USA, which was a direct response to, to AEW. Mm-hmm. And yes, AEW won the Wednesday Night War, if you want to call it that. And that's fine. The problem is their flagship show beat NXT. So even if you want to call it a third brand, mm-hmm. if we want to crucify them for third brand, call it a third brand. So it would be the lesser of the three brands, right? It's the newest, so it would be the lesser. So that would be like Rampage yeah. beating Monday Night Raw mm-hmm. or SmackDown because they're on the same night. Right? Does that make is that a correct that, analogy? No, that's correct. Because Rampage is the secondary show to Dynamite. Dynamite's yeah. the flagship, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the numbers do you know correlate with that. My thing is this: instead of fans worrying about that, worry about the wrestling. If you don't like the wrestling that's on, we're fans. Yeah. Me and you give our opinions on matches as fans, and then we have to give our opinions on things like this. Here's how I look at it: don't get tripped up on the wording. It doesn't matter if it was a brand or developmental. Yes, AEW won the Wednesday Night War. You want to hear it? You heard it here. Yeah. Look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. We can we can provide the numbers. Just like when we said, look at the numbers that AEW's never beat WWE Raw. We proved that that was right. Mm-hmm. It came close a couple times for September of the one year. Yeah. But then it fell off the fucking face of the earth. And now, whew, there's no looking back. Exactly. You know? And they never were close to SmackDown. I mean, they'll argue that they won one night. But whatever. You can argue and have whatever you want that you won in New York, LA, and Chicago. Cool. Cool, guys. Yeah. How's that doing for your bottom line? It doesn't matter. And as a wrestling fan, you know what? We bring it up because it's news. But as a wrestling fan, I could care two less of a shit. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck if their ratings is through the roof or not because I don't get profit share. Yeah, I don't want to I, I care if the programming is there. Mm-hmm. But, hey, listen. He admitted it. You guys should take your victory lap. You won the Wednesday Night Wars. And for all of that, you've gotten what? 
You've gotten the, the problems that we have in the back that we might want to focus on now instead of focusing on some dumb shit that's over. Yeah. Okay, cool. Dead in the ground, NXT. Cool. Awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah. You know? And that's what people on the internet want to fucking beg on in, in the certain certain amounts. As a fan, I don't care about that shit. Mm-hmm. I care about the wrestling. I'm watching Raw for the first time in years because it's actually compelling television. Yeah. I'm watching SmackDown when I can because I'm usually busy on Fridays because it's become compelling television. Triple H has really done a great job there, so I can admit that. Am I happy with everything? No, but I'm happy with enough to watch. Exactly. And then on the other side of things, AEW. I'm still watching, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for a while. And there was a while where it got better, and then there was a while where it got worse, and then, you know, there's ebbs and flows to everything, folks. Sure. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like they're listening to the right people. Although, Tony Khan will tell you, he always listens to the fans. Really? You're always listening to the fans? Mm-hmm. I don't think you are. And that's another story for another day. Right. But the fact that some people on the internet were like, oh, we got you, Triple H, got you. Okay, cool. You got him. Okay, it's not development. It is development. It doesn't matter. Does it really fucking matter at the end of the day? You won. If you're an AEW guy who looks at the numbers and you think that, man, me and Tony Khan are best friends, you won. You fucking won, guy. Cool. That and a dollar still ain't buying you a taco. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Shit ain't a dollar no more, player. It's true. Like, be a fan. What's wrong with being a fan? What is wrong right now with being a fan of pro wrestling? And on one end, you know, you could say, well, you're being awful harsh because you're not being as harsh as Triple H. But there was nothing to be harsh on Triple H for. He made a statement. He even put over AEW, maybe not by name, but we know who he was talking about. Exactly. And said that they won. What else do you want the man to do? Because he downplayed a little bit of developmental. Who cares? It is technically what it was. But even if you want it, even if you change and call it the third brand, what does it get you? Except for the fact that you want you want it to be like it's something else. Okay, right now when when these two these big events that they were trying to do all this stuff for, uh, I think I think we have power back. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. Uh, but anyways, all these big events that they were trying to do right now as we speak, uh, we're we're switching around and we're doing other bullshit, and like, it's weird to me. It's just weird to me. Be a fan. I don't care that Triple H said developmental or a brand. Either way, he admitted that AEW won. Cool. That's that's something that, that Vince would have never done. And then on top of that, uh, you know, we went a little bit uh, further and said that, uh, you know, it is what it is. I just don't get it. I don't know. What did, what did you take from it? You know, it's the, it's the same false narrative that the Kool-Aid drinkers have been sipping on since day one. And they're holding on like to their last breath of this whole AEW versus WWE war of Wednesday nights or brands, you know, you got you have to align with one. We're now how many years into AEW and yet they still struggle to clear easily a million unopposed on Wednesday nights. You're having all these problems backstage. Your shows for pay-per-views are still not clearing that many buys that they should be doing. There's so much other things that you should be focusing attention on, and yet you're clinging to this philosophical idea that, hey, we beat them on Wednesday night. Oh, man, we made NXT go out of business. No, in fact, you did quite the opposite. You forced Triple H to reassess the program since now he's taken charge of all programming across the board. You let Vince move the program 
to a different night and try repackaging it. So now you're sitting there and all those little jabs that you guys are doing is just firing Triple H up even more that he's putting on better programming across the board and NXT has gotten tremendously better. So for everybody still sitting there screaming, well, we won Wednesday, what did it win you? A participation trophy? Congratulations, guys. You won something that's already an afterthought. When you clear 2 million, hell, when you clear 1.5 million on Dynamite for a month straight, come talk to me. Otherwise, it doesn't mean shit. I'm sorry. I'm glad you said that because it's kind of like the one thing that people aren't focusing on is you come into these things and you understand that Triple H is bothered about taking that L. Yeah. Like, that's what I took from it. What I took from that is here's a man who is trying to downplay it, but you know he's upset about taking an L. And on top of taking an L, here we go. Now you're pissing the man off even more. Yeah. And already he's starting to clean your clock, and he just took over a month and a half ago. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's what you needed to do since day one. Reassess. Be the change you wanted, mm-hmm. right? And be the, the alternative. Because as long as you're continuing to live in the realm where WWE affects you, it is going to continue to bother your bottom line. Look at your own house. Because when you're not looking at your own house and you're staring out the window, the shit that's happening in your house is happening right now. The, the sleazy guy is taking your, 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 your wife out on dates, okay? Yep. I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. There's shit going on in the back there that's not kosher. And you can't say that, oh, it's all a work, because we know damn well that Sammy Guevara and Eddie Kingston wasn't a damn work. Mm-hmm. We, know, we know that the CM Punk thing, no matter what you want to do, is not a fucking work. Because, ooh, well, you don't talk about, you know, I heard somebody go, well, you know it's a work, because in wrestling, you only talk about people you want to do business with so it makes money. Um, he talked mostly about Cole Cabana, and we know damn well CM Punk will not do a match. He will not be in the same room or anything else with Cole Cabana. It kind of reiterated that last night. Facts. Or this morning, technically. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Calm it down, folks. Enjoy wrestling. Be a wrestling fan. We had a great wrestling weekend. For somebody like me, who yeah. enjoys watching wrestling, I got to see three major promotions. Well, two from one promotion, one from the other. Three major, to two big U.S. promotions put on three amazing shows. They were all good. Some of it, they, they had their downfalls, but they were all good. You heard us talk about it. Plus, on top of that, I got to see GCW. So there's a lot of things I've gotten to see lately, Ken M, and I'm excited. That's what you should be excited for as a fan, not to worry about what fucking dumbass one is doing with dumbass two in the background or, or rings, and we've preached that forever. But here we are again. I just think it's funny that people thought that that was like the gotcha moment from the Earl Hawani thing. Because you know what? They have to go stretch for straws because, honestly, what are you winning? Seriously. You're not winning anything. You, you're talking about a throwaway moment in the history of your, what, three, four-year company now? It doesn't matter. Congratulations. You beat NXT. You didn't beat Raw. You didn't beat SmackDown. You're not winning. And now your house is crumbling because the minute that Papa H came back, everybody started looking at their contracts. Why is that? Oh, if everybody's so happier that the green grass is over there and they're trying to move back, allegedly, what kind of narrative does that send into your fan base? But you're talking to people that literally went all in, pun intended, on AEW, thinking this was going to be the brand new revolution. Oh, wrestling's changing forever. And what are you doing? You're getting WCW 3.0. 
and the ship is getting in worse condition and the crowning moment of this is last night's presser because no matter how you want to spin this you're not getting anywhere with this because if all you're getting is softball questions asked at those scrums to try covering up a fight that's going on out back that you've seen video of security running to go check out so something was going on and the rumors are widely reporting about that what is that saying? That your crowning moment should have been we had an amazing pay-per-view and yet all we're talking about is one superstar being pissed off that it wasn't all about them. That's the big narrative coming out of that. Not that you had 14 matches that everybody should have been talking about. This amazing trios tag team match. Oh man, it's one of the best of the year. The tag match that everybody thought was going to be a sleeper, but yet it was one of the best of the weekend. That's what we should be talking about. But no, we're talking about wrestlers that haven't been on TV except for an ROH pre-show in months. And we let the narrative get spun there. We let it get shot to interview segments that happened in April and May that are still grinding somebody's gears. That's the narrative coming out of this. So somebody, please explain to me, and I don't care what kind of formula you whip up to do your math for this one. How is that a win? Oh, what? We're talking AEW. Are you talking anything good? Because guess what? When you go to the pop culture audience, is that's the ones that are spending their advertising money to go buy your tickets, buy your pay-per-views? What do you think they're saying? Why do I want to throw? Why do I want to burn money? Why do I want to throw it into the trash? Because you know, honestly, I'm feeding shit. Hmm? Very good points. You're the one got fired up this time. Not even me. That's crazy. Well, with that being said, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Hashtag 607TWS. But before we go, can I find the fine, tell the fine folks one more time how to find you in the Ocho Dura Parley Hour podcast? Very simple. If you would like to chat with me more about this, and I hope you do, odphpodcast.com has all the social media links, so we definitely interact with everybody. It also has the directory, which you can find how to get a hold of the ODPH on your favorite podcast player, because you know we're going to be talking the NFL preview show this week. we got a lot of other things coming on as well. we got a Patreon. It's got a lot of stuff coming on with that. we got a T-Public store. We have the classified section, which friends of the show, such as the 3FN podcast. Anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. Absolutely. With that being said, I am going to go out and say you just need to visit 3FNPodcast.com. There you get all the information, all the social media links, all the links to everything else. It's a one-stop shop, 3FNPodcast.com. You can listen to the 3FN Podcast there, ODPH Podcast, everything. Just go there, 3FNPodcast.com. Can't say it enough. Did I say it one more time? 3FNPodcast.com. There you go. With that being said, thank you guys so much. We're going to play you out as we always do with our good friend Second Suitor. The song is called One Winged Angel, the O to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Kenny Omega. It's the perfect way to end any song. Make sure you support Second Suitor wherever you get great music. On top of that, we just want to say, hey, for those fans out there that enjoyed everything this week, it was one hell of a week. We're going to need a vacation from wrestling for a week, and we're kind of getting a little bit of one next week. But it's going to be back on and popping before you know it. So... Kudos to us on having a great weekend of wrestling for everybody who wants to be tribal and pick one side or the other. Hopefully what you got was the, you, you liked. If not, then I don't know what to tell you. But for us, we had a great time. Absolutely. With that being said, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, later wrestling fans! <laughs> Damn hard I can no longer
Top ropes. One, two. 